Does your health routine for the new year include eye care? Well, now that you can use your renewed vision benefits, it's easy to add it to the routine. Visit pearlvision.com and schedule exams for the whole family. They work with all major vision plans, including iMed, and they'll cover your cost of insurance copay or eye exam. Valid prescription required. Valid at participating locations. Restrictions apply. Taxes extra. See store for details. Ends 331-2023. Exams available at the Independent Doctor of Optometry at or next to Pearl Vision. Some doctors employed by Pearl Vision. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, introducing the greatest top 10 show, The Movie Mount Rushmore, featuring the one AJ, Anthony Jordan, the UK's favorite film critic, Nico Duro, the silver screen boom! Hey, screeners, how you doing? I, my, my voice is a bit off because for the first time ever from all these episodes, I press record and it didn't record straight away. So I had to press it a second time. So, hey, screeners, how are you doing? It's myself, the one AJ, Anthony Jordan. And me, Nicola Do you know what? This, this is a weird one because, I mean, there are many reasons to it. But when 2020 being the year that it was... Or is at depending on the type of listen to it, you'll be like, this should be a time of celebration. But I still kind of feel a bit like, oh, oh, season three's gone, and I'm like, it, it yeah. brought a lot of good. Yeah, it is it, the it, last it, episode of season three, guys. It's indeed. We are. Wow, that's gone by. Sorry. Um. Yeah. No. It's yeah. We're we're at the last episode of season three, and wow, the the silver screen dudes are. We've done it again in a in a more consistent, in a more awkward fashion, but it it, it it's worked. It really it's has. Worked. It really, it's... really has. I we think season three has been quite wonderful. Not in terms of what's gone on in the world, but in terms of how we've been adaptable, in terms yeah. of the fact that we've still managed to stay relatively relevant without there actually being a proper cinema industry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know look put it this way we we kicked off season three and it feels like yesterday because that was the last chance of normality right we we kicked off with new kit we were there we were ready we had so many different prospects like we 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 had an episode it wasn't even an episode call it a soundbite if you would just saying look out for x y and z this is what we've got coming and then the world kind of took a turn in a way that was like well Y can't happen, Z can't happen, but okay, you still got X because that's your ground nature. And it was like, okay, cool. And you know, we're not hating on any platforms or anything, but like we kicked off with Skype. We were there. We found this platform. We found StreamYard. We 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 found a ways to adapt that it wasn't just your headphones. We 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 invested again, got new equipment to whether it be visuals, which will come in the future, new mics. And it was like we found a way to survive in a time that was challenging. When yep. it first kicked off, we our, our words were this will make us not break us. And trust me, guys, as much as we've been here weekly and consistently, okay, we had a break a couple of weeks back or what have you. We we had breaking challenges behind the scenes, like stuff we won't get into. Like our world's changed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> our world's changed this year. But um, yeah, we're still here and we thank you guys because, again, I always say this, there is no you, there is no us without you. And... Boy, this year really proved that it it, it can turn around, it, despite the challenges, and cinema being one of them. Yeah, despite... I mean, the other challenge I'm going to throw out, which is far less significant for this list, but it's just a real talk. I mean, as you've seen by the title, we are counting down the top 10 films of 2020, which 
is limiting in nature based on the fact that, you know, we haven't been to the cinema a lot this year. Um, so the other thing I'd like to throw out is the fact that in the UK, we get our movies much later than you do in the US. <laughs> so there's got to, I just want to put a disclaimer out there. There might be some movies, and this is a major apology for the people listening in the US and even in some other parts of the world, because we get royally fist fucked here in the UK in terms of release dates. So a lot of these movies, people might be like, that came out in 2019. It didn't hear. <laughs> yeah. Um, there is one film like that. I actually didn't get to see it um, yet. But I was like, damn, like, I wanted to see it. Forgot about it came back because a lot of these stuff are on demand. So to be fair, I was quite lucky. Um, just disclaimer before we go any further. Yeah. Are your films 2019 slash 2020? Or I don't have any films. All my films were released in the UK in 2020. Okay, so okay, we're on the same platform then. Some of them were released in 2019 in the US. Sure. In 2020, they were all released in the UK. Some of the push, some literally just January, but they were all 2020. No, 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 I get that. Yeah, no, because I know when we first discussed this, and again, this is how we keep it quite organic, guys. We kind of put a rule and then we take it. And one of the rules were, even if it was a film that we didn't get to see in 20, if it was a film that we saw in 2020, but necessarily wasn't released in that 2019, 2020 bracket, it could count because cinema has been so difficult this year. But it seems that's out the window because we both No, got... I managed. I basically, I've got one phenomenal cheat, but I'll make a, the biggest argument for it. And I think you'll be on board with it. And I managed to fill in two slots last night with 2020 movies. Cool. I sacrificed so, playing Ghost of Tsushima. I just want that to be known. <laughs> can I also just be very aware with a lot of the stuff that a lot of it, again, they are 2020 films. And to be fair, they if they're released on Netflix or Prime, that still counts. Like it, it was a film that was scheduled to go in the cinema and it got released there. Even oh. if it wasn't, it's a film. So I don't think there was any real cheating. Well, unless there was one. Oh, no, 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 no. This is major cheating. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. We'll let the pendulum swing. Being the last episode, being pre-Christmas, I may be very generous, but hey. You You used the word last just now. That's a clue. Oh. Oh, he's going to understand all. <laughs> oh, he's going to understand when I bring the heat. Okay. All right. Right. So here we are, guys. Yes, this is the last episode of the year for us. We are taking a break. If you're a fan of the Ministry of Wrestling, you still have one more episode left of the Silver Screen Dudes, albeit just a prediction episode. But, um, oh, yeah, but, but again, we're here. But before we do kick off, because I felt like such a dick after I press end record and le- we left the studio we didn't put out our tributes man like last night in the yesterday in terms of wrestling tiny lister aka zeus in the world of wrestling passed away barbara windsor passed away as well um just want to put our rips out to two great entertainers if you would in the world of, out there so have to put that out there before we go any further can i can i build i mean tiny lister was yeah it's very sad that he's gone it's very sad when we ever lose anyone barbara windsor is the one that really hurt me really really and i don't want to be fucking grading variable variables of death here but barbara wins is a special one for me because it was my dearly departed great grandmother who put me onto the carry on movies mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and barbara windsor was always her favorite character was always her favorite actress in that ensemble so barbara dying felt like another attachment i've got to my great grandmother dying it was like 
it really fucking stung me. No, bro, I get, I get that. I get that fully. Barbara Windsor, to me, it's really funny because I, I've seen a few carry-ons. I've not seen a lot, but she was always that face. And then she became Peggy Mitchell, which then just took it to a new, whole new level. And that was something that you always just kept an eye on and you, you appreciated this diminutive woman with the larger-than-life character. Mm. Tiny Lister is really weird because when you look for me on the other side is there are films like Friday, which just became so iconic growing up that he was something that then you got, he's always been that imposing figure. You see, even when he's a good guy in like the fifth element, he was yeah. still that imposing figure that you're like, which way is he going to go? Then as the huge wrestling fan that I was as a kid, like he was Zeus. And again, he always has that, as my brother said, like that was, you know, you got gangsters, but this was the biggest bully. This guy was the biggest bully, which is so true. It's like, there was no other way to describe. So both of them hit me in a way that I was like, no way. It, it was really shocking because it was like one iconic Brit has gone, you know? And then on the other side is the, I, I don't want to say black icon, but in that sense of my childhood and stuff, the, the films that I had tuned into over the years, it was like, damn. And the wrestling side, it was like, wow. So it was like such a double prong. Like I fell asleep seeing Barbara had died, woke up to seeing Tiny had gone, and I'm like, this is unreal. What is going on today? You know? Yeah. Yeah. It was a it was a it was a tough blow. It was a tough blow. But may your souls rest in peace. Mm. Indeed. Is, is all I can say to that. Yeah. Sad, yeah. Sad, sad. Very sad. Okay. So we've given a bit of a preamble as to who we are, and this is the last episode, but we will be back, guys. There is some very exciting stuff. We've said it a few times. January. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's the one. So we might as well get this ball on the road, or rolling, as they say. Nico, would you like to tell our new listeners catching us for the last episode of this season what the movie Mount Rushmore was all about? Nico's giving me the Limp Biscuit rolling sign. Keep on rolling, baby. You know what time it is. So for those of you tuning in for the first time, thank you so much for joining us. If you are new to the Movie Mount Rushmore podcast, please be sure to like on whatever podcast platform you are listening on. If you are by any chance listening to us on iTunes and you've got a quick moment just to write up a quick review, that would be oh so greatly appreciated. But the thing we appreciate more than anything, guys, is if you know people in your life who like podcasts and who like movies. The friends, the family, the not friends, the not family. The people who you argue, debate, share, and enjoy and laugh at movies with, tell them about this podcast. Word of mouth, wonderful thing. And it helps us grow. And it really, really, really shows. And it really, really, really leaves us feeling oh so very humble. So please keep sharing the movie Mount Rushmore podcast. How does the podcast actually work? AJ and I get assigned a topic. We go our separate ways and we come back right here into StreamYard and deliver to you, the silver screen dudes, our individual top tens. Who goes first this week? You, we'll go that. This week, AJ will go first, delivering his bottom three. I will then deliver my bottom three. AJ will deliver his next two. I will deliver my next two. Then we will trade one apiece. If at any time while we are running off our individual top ten lists, one person has a movie in a higher position, the person will say, punt. And we will punt and talk about that movie when we get to the higher position. Once we have both rounded off our individual top tens, we will create the movie Mount Rushmore. These are the four quintessential diverse must-see movies of the genre, which this week is... Films of 2020. Yes, sir. UK. <laughs> Released in the UK in 2020. <laughs> small caveat, small caveat. Okay, here we go. Right, so this one was, for me, released in January. Was excited for it. Kind of got a bit nervous. It's a film you thought would never come out, then I think it shouldn't have come out. Bad Boys for Life. Yeah, no. Not for me. 
Did you see it? Nope, not for me. <sighs> you know, Bad Boys 2 kind of gave you that. They, they came back after a while. This one just felt like the gap was left way too long yet again. And Martin Lawrence, I always remember when I first saw him, it looked like he was in a big mama suit. No, no offense to it. Like if you put, but I, no, honestly, I thought it was part of the joke. True. I thought it was part of the joke, and then I realized it wasn't. Will was still trying to be cool, and I, I hate to say this, being the guy who grew up on Fresh Prince and has idolized Will Smith, I've got his album for God's sake. The cool just isn't as cool anymore in Will, and I mean it is what it is. And then the story was, the story is essentially just showing like. You feel like Murdoch, like I'm getting too old for this shit. It, it's that. It's it's you know we ride together, we die together. Like we ride until the walls fall off. Whatever it was, bad boy for life. And it was a passing of the torch film, but in the weirdest way I've seen. And I was well, like, they pass the torch on to someone else. They've got this new youngest team out there. This guy has Will has taken out this guy. I saw this very early on in the year, so I'm a bit shady on it. And his mother's now sent him to go and exact revenge. But then it turns out that, bit of a spoiler, the kid might actually be Will's kid as well in the film, like Mike Larry's kid. So this guy's out to kill. And then there's this, it, it was a bit of a clusterfuck, if I'm honest. <laughs> but but you, you get this feeling that they're, they're getting on in age, they're looking at retirement, but there's this new brand of team that they were working with. And you're like, Will they? Won't they? Is this going to be like a Bad Boys 4, but a relaunch of it? I just didn't get the vibe that I would have from Bad Boys from it. And I was like... <sighs> this is what I want to say, I told you. Listen, I, I get it. I get it. I, I, yeah. There are certain things that are left too long. Listen to the wrestling podcast. You were saying literally yesterday, It's Sting! But he's 10 years too late. Bro, I get it. And these these are the problems. It is that. It's like, it's all good seeing it. The nostalgia was there. And it felt like you need that closing statement. But some stories just need to end where they are. Let's be honest. People keep clamoring for another rush hour. It, it's, it's done. No, 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 no. No, but you get what I'm saying. There are certain things that's just done. And this, this is one of them. And bless him, is literally too old for that shit now. Bro, this you is cannot- because he's he's a proud man. He's going to want to do all his own stunts. You cannot ask a man that old to be jumping out of buildings anymore. No, no you can't. You cannot. It's, it's just not right. Yeah. Speaking no, of age, speaking of age, you want to talk about how much of a bitch Father Time is? Have you seen Jet Li? That was kind of heartbreaking, but I think there was a mix of illness with that as well. And but either way, it was like what happened, like. No, he legitimately looks like one of those old school Shaolin Kung Fu masters. You I was going to say that. I was going to say that. For the guy he was, I, I was just like, wow. You know, it looks like the old sensei you go to see at the end of the film. Yeah. Like, for enlightenment in a film. And I was like, what is going on? But she said, Father Time. Father Time. Fucking merciless, man. Yeah. Indeed. Indeed. But hey, he's still here. So we appreciate this. Is, this is why my camera keeps cutting, but carry on. Okay. Yeah, I, I saw a couple of freezes, but I heard you, so I knew we were all good. Doing right. Anyway. In at number nine, I think this could be a punt for <clears throat> the reason that we sometimes punt and shock each other with. Birds of Prey. Hey, yeah. It's a punt, right? Mm-hmm. I thought so. Okay. In at number eight, I caught this one recently, and I did have a laugh with it. I don't know if you've seen it. It's on Amazon. It was meant to be out in our cinemas. My Spy. 
No, I've not heard of it. That's the Batista one. Batista um, and the Kid. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> Corny as crap. But what? But do you know what? When I first started watching it, I was like, you know what? Nick's going to enjoy this one if he ever saw it. Because you know how you play on uh, just at the beginning? You know those um, True Lies, how True Lies is the epitome of action movies to you? Oh, they, yeah. they kind of pay homage to that in the beginning. It it, it has the most ridiculous um, rocket launcher scenes and all of that crap that just, you know, guys diving away in front of the thing, but they just take the piss with it so badly that you do have a laugh. Now, is it a great film? Is it great acting? No, but it's stupid fun. It's actually stupid fun. It's, it's kindergarten cop up to level. It's the story of a CIA agent who is... They're, they're made to, like, Batista is your ultimate go-in-and-kill kind of thing. But because he causes so much distraction, him and his partner, who is the ultimate web geek, are now on detail of just monitoring this family because the the girl's uncle... How can I explain? The villain of this story has killed his brother, and we are now led to believe he's going to go after his niece and sister-in-law. And honestly, it's so they're just spying the whole way. But it turns out that this kid unveils them straight away. <laughs> so she's she's ended up in their spy house like are you guys spying on me are you cia and then like, oh, no, no. in that she just ends up bribing batista so you know you take your kindergarten cop and the two fairy the pacifier all of those kind of films you're not expecting anything new from it but it has some stupid moments that really do make you laugh it better than the others have actually and i you know what it was worth mentioning in this awkward world when you haven't seen every film it, it, you will laugh. I laughed it, in a stupid like, what am I watching? But it was sweet. But Batista has got underappreciated comedy chops. There's no doubt about that. But I still think, and this is why I rate James Gunn as a director so much, that he's got to be used in the right capacity. I don't think he's a leading man. I just don't. The kid's the star of this film, in honesty. As much as Batista is the star name of the film, let's not be stupid in that. Um, uh, the small... Asian guy from The Hangover, Ken, is it Ken? Ken Jong. Yeah, he's in it as well. He he brings it, he's now not in it me. immensely. See, you've me. He's, I mean, he's not in it immensely, but you know he he delivers those lines that always have you laughing. So it's worth a watch. I'm you not saying one fuck on me! <laughs> <laughs> he's one of the best fucking racially profiled characters ever created. Chow so cold! Chow so cold! <laughs> Yeah, no. So Ken Jong, he he brings in the comment. It is just about little one-liners and stuff like that along the way. I'm not, by all means, I'm not saying it's the greatest action movie. I'm not saying it's the greatest family movie, but it's worth a look, guys. Honestly, I, I had a good time with it. Tudalu, motherfucker! Sorry, now I need to go and watch The Hangover. That, that, that is all sorts of good. I love Chow. What a character. Okay. My number 10. Um, it is over to me now, right? Yeah, indeed. Okay. My number 10 is from Pixar. There were supposed to be two Pixar movies this year. We only got the one. The other one, Soul, has been pushed back. Um, I'm going to Christmas Day. Huh? To Christmas Day. I don't know if you know that. I did not know that. That is Yeah, Disney Plus. That is Disney nice Plus. Enough. I don't know if they're charging for it a la Mulan. Uh, they but, will um... be three months and then it'll be free. They're yeah. going in hard with Disney Plus. Bro, bro, all in, all like, in. Holy shit. They've literally made it a cornerstone of the MCU. Like, mm-hmm. That announcement, 
Did Did you watch the link I shared? I haven't watched it as yet. I haven't watched it as yet. I've been really? up and down on the road. But, oh. yeah. Question, did it have Miss Marvel in there? Yep. It did. Okay, because I saw the trailer for that. That lit up just before we went on to record. So I saw that. I was going to share it, but I thought, let me check with you, because I know you had a link with absolutely everything and the 10 Star Wars bits. And- oh! <laughs> Do you know the one that really got me excited was Rogue Squadron. I haven't watched everything yet. I just know that they've got them, so I don't. Again, I wouldn't even know because I'm not that you know Star Wars. Directing guy. Rogue Squadron. Go, Patty Jenkins. Another film coming out on Christmas Day: Wonder Woman '84. And you know what, Patty Jenkins? You know what her father did, right? He was Hit a fight. He was a fighter. He was a fighter pilot. Oh. So this and Rogue Squadron is about the fucking the X Wings. It's about she and her mission. Patty said in the trailer, "My ambition to honor my dad has always been to make the greatest fighter pilot movie ever, and I've never had the platform to do that until now." And then she put on a helmet, and they obviously did a CG X Wing in the background, and she skated off towards it. I was like, "Ha!" Oh. Oh, come on. So you're bringing me the story from a Nintendo 64 game onto the big screen, directed by Wonder Woman, who wants to honor her fighter pilot father. Yes! (laughs) All the geek buttons have been pushed. Indeed. 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 Now, that one got me so excited. Hayden Christensen. I'm actually really happy for him to be back as vader a lot of people are like what he's back i'm like do you know what he had shit to work with i don't care who you are there's a reason leonardo dicaprio said no to that role (laughs) yeah yeah you're being given the chance to play the most iconic villain of all time fact not fiction and you've said no there's a reason scripts sucked I'm really hoping this Obi-Wan series is almost like a redemption story for him. It would be nice. It would be nice to see that. It would be nice to see that. I can't deny that. Good Darth Vader. That I mean, fucking awesome. I mean, the, the Star Wars stuff, I know I can't wax lyrical with you so much because you're not so not a jewel. <laughs> <laughs> but the Marvel stuff, bro, fuck me. <laughs> fuck I'm, me. I mean... I have to see... I have to see... Um, based on Malta's comment, I need to see the... Um, Falcon and Winter Soldier one. I'm quite interested to see. He's wrong. I don't know what what the hell he saw that I that I that I missed. I saw it, and of all the trailers, especially there's this shot of Falcon zipping through a canyon at the end, being chased by what looks like TVA pilots. So that was a nice little tip of the hat. But it was a it was a balls to the wall flight scene, and it actually even looking on my little phone made me go, "Whoa, shit!" Like actually out loud legitimately got me excited so yeah he the only thing he was correct about is that yeah unpopular opinion motherfucker (laughs) (laughs) falcon and winter soldier looks great people i don't think have understood what they're trying to do with wandavision yet they're like it looks shit i'm like you don't get it watch it like you would watch the truman show it's not real yeah, it's it's gonna it's gonna be trippy as all hell. That's what I'm expecting from that show. That is what I'm expecting from One Division. The the Loki trailer looked phenomenal. Oh, I love that. I love that. That that had me ready. That had me ready. <laughs> oh man, that looks so good. And 
I don't know how deep you are with Loki law, but that final that there was there was a stream of comics where the one of the comic covers was actually vote for Loki, and they and the exact comic cover is that green sort of little suit he has. They even gave him the pin. I don't know if you called it. Yeah, I saw the pin. I saw the pin, but I didn't know. Fuck off! That is straight out of a comic panel. That is nuts. (laughs) Cool. A lot of stuff to look forward to. With I can tell you, mate, everything I saw in the trailer, I I won't say this often, but I was wrong. We are getting a multiverse. (laughs) No, no, no. It's happened. And what ties it all together isn't WandaVision. It's not going to be Doctor Strange and the multiverse of madness. It's not going to be Spider-Man 3. It's Loki. Yeah, but this is where it all kicks off, isn't it? Because from the minute he took the Tesseract in... Ah, I've gone blank. Endgame. That's the one. You kind of realize it it gave us hope because bearing in mind what happened in Infinity War, don't want to go too much into it in case it's a spoiler to anyone who hasn't seen it yet. But we all remember going, Loki, that was our chance of, ah, now I see why Loki's here. So, yep. But you've got that. You've got the fact that he's gone to the TVA. You've got the the councillor in there. The three fucking council members. I was like, what the fuck? Okay, we are going multiverse here. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah, fucking um, yeah. Uh, Luke Wilson. Uh, was it Owen? Owen Wilson playing Mobius. I was like, wow, wow. Okay, yeah, we are we are getting a multiverse. We are doing this. Yeah, and then I, the I, thing I, also got me excited in Ant Man and the Wasp. They've confirmed that the villain is Kang the Conqueror. That made me go, okay, wow, we are actually getting Kang the Conqueror. You really trust your audience now, don't you, Feige? You're actually giving them Kang the Conqueror. I know, I know. That's when you start going deep in it. This is when you're starting to go deep now. Deep, 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 bro. And Feige has now confirmed there will not be a recasting of T'Challa. So, I've read this and... I know it sounds stupid. I know it's out his mouth on video. He has said it. We are not recasting the role. I know it sounds stupid, but it says in Black Panther 2. Yeah? No, no, no. no. He said it's done. They're not recasting, period. No. You see, the thing is, with number two, I I understand that you might be able to do a Paul Walker. But I, I, and this is nothing, nothing, nothing on the legacy that Chadwick Boseman has left behind, right? The story had just begun. You know, yep. they're choosing to go down the route of we're not going to continue the story to one of the guy because of what he did. Ooh, fair enough. Fair enough. Well, you know, it, it, it's respectful. I'm not going to hate on it because it's respectful and he was he made a hell of an impact. So I'm not going to hate on it by any means. You know, and for all the times that I mean, I still maintain I don't think he was the best Black Panther. You know, may he rest in peace and all that, but he was never that that guy for me. I thought he was kind of stiff in his delivery, but I recognize the impact that he made. And for that alone, he deserves honoring. Uh, it's a tough one. It is really a tough one. And you, you, you don't want to say anything that's disrespectful, which is what, you know, that, no, not you, me, in, in what I'm saying. I, I kind of agree with you, though. It's like, I, I enjoyed it. Screen, you wanted Killmonger. Yeah. You did. You did. It's the truth. It's the truth. You know, he he was good in Civil War. The other films, not so yeah. much. And that's where I think it's like, you know, in, in the standalone, it was, a, yeah, it was, it was a villain focused movie. Let's be yeah. honest. But. Yep. 
And yeah. Anyway, so let's get back onto our top ten, shall we? Yeah. <laughs> I haven't been. I'm going to say punt after all of this. Disney fucking carpet bombed us with information a few days ago. Also, did you see the little teasers for Pinocchio and Peter Pan? I haven't. I haven't. I haven't, I haven't had a look at the video. Literally, Very the only one that came to me a couple of times. Really, really cute. Literally, you just see a shot of Geppetto, Geppetto's shop. Then you see like a, a shot over Geppetto's shoulder. So you've just got him silhouetted in the dark. You do see Pinocchio, like just from a profile. And he looks straight out of the animation. Oh, Which I like. They haven't done this weird kind of, oh, let's interpret him and look how he looked live. Is that like, not Pinocchio? Beautiful. And the cats mm-hmm. in there like gave him a little play around. I was like, that's awesome. That's awesome. And then Peter and Wendy, even cooler. All they did was they panned from ben, Big Ben across the stars to the second star, uh, second star from the right and straight on to morning. And then it just whooshed through and it went Peter and Wendy. I was like, that's all you needed to do. It is all you needed to do. I like that. I'm very, very excited. Really yeah, I am. I am. So yeah, you you said Pixar, and I did say I, I have a feeling we're going to punt, but I'll just officially onward. Chris Pratt onward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Punt, 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 indeed. And that was your number ten. Okay. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> number nine. My number nine is one that I watched last night, and I, I'm, I'm almost having slept on it now. I almost want to put it a bit higher because it's it's simple. It doesn't have much, you know, you know, dramatic punch to it, which is kind of why it's low. But it's, bro, it made me smile so much, and it really resonated with me because of a place I'm at in my life at the moment. Tom Hanks, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Oh, mate, you're so lucky to have caught that. I haven't caught that one yet. Literally, do you know what? Because Netflix and Amazon like to fuck with me when it comes to actual releases, right? It's either they're Ooh. on for a split second, then they get removed, or then you... Anyway, whatever. Fuck, fuck them both, frankly. And I say this based on the fact that we are counting down the top 100 movies from Empire Magazine on our Instagram page, coming again as soon as I get back from Mexico, because I'll have finished it by then. But... Real talk, the best streaming service I've had throughout the whole period of watching these 100 movies has been sky hands down hand fucking down amazon oh, yeah. is by a country mile netflix is serviceable but i wouldn't you know whatever sky has been the one mate sky has been amazing for me and i just i was thinking oh fuck i'm not i'm gonna have to fill these last few spots because i haven't seen enough movie releases in 2020 this year and then I thought, hang on, dummy, go and check on Sky. They usually release shit months and months and months. Uh, you know, they would have released shit months and months and months ago that would have come out this year. Mm. Now, if I go and look on new premieres and there you go, a beautiful day in the neighborhood. I was like, hang on, it says 2019 on here. But Sky is going to be controlled by US releases. Let me have a quick look on Google here. I was going to say. Beautiful day in the neighborhood. January 24th, 2020. I was like, let's watch it. And bro, it's, it really is quite fucking charming. It's a beautiful little story. There's nothing inherently deep about it. You know, you're expecting given that there's this, I mean, the story is, it's, it's, they, they say it's a true story, and whenever a movie opens with that, you think there's going to be more drama. There wasn't. I mean, essentially, it's a reporter who works for Esquire, 
and he's tasked with profiling Fred Rogers, you know, Mr. Rogers, mm-hmm. beloved children's TV host. And he's fucking cynical, is this reporter. And you find out through very, very believable set of circumstances why he's cynical. Mum's died of cancer while mum was dying. Dad, played by Chris Cooper, who delivers one of his career best performances, in my opinion. You know, he's rolling back the American beauty years. He was stellar, Chris Cooper. Um, Chris Cooper, you find out he plays the dad and he was cheating on the mum while she was dying of cancer. So you can imagine how much the son doesn't like the dad. Mm -hmm. They've got a mega estranged relationship. Dad ends up in a place where he's suffering from a heart attack and the son needs to make the decision of whether, you know, he embraces him again or chooses to lose both of his parents. So all really believable. And this is all happening while he's intermittently interviewing Mr. Rogers, because Mr. Rogers never really gives him more than about between five to 20 minutes, you know, and he's not doing it maliciously, but you find out that it's kind of he's... With, without the reporter knowing, he's kind of doing a role reversal. So whereby the reporter's meant to be interviewing him in a very natural, very unassuming, very kind way, Mr. Rogers starts to interview him. You know, find out about, where, where did you get that scar from? Oh my, you were fighting with your dad. He's so fucking gentle. That's the best word to describe him. It starts off initially because, you know, like most people aren't that fucking nice. Mm-hmm. They're just fucking not. And so when the reporter's cynical about Mr. Rogers, you're kind of right there with him. It's like, man, something's rotten in the state of Denmark. There is no way this guy is that nice. And you actually found out, you know what? He actually is. He's <laughs> just, he was. Well, he's, spin he's, thing, there's, no darkness, there's no spin. There's no flippity flip. There's no, oh, he's a kiddie fiddler. You know, none of this bullshit about how, oh, Mr. Rogers is actually this evil man. No, <laughs> Mr. Rogers was Mr. Rogers. And you know what? In a year of a pandemic, I actually found it really refreshing to see, do you know what? A nice person turned out to be, spoiler, a nice person. (laughs) They didn't have to be, uh, you know, a serial molester or someone who is convicted of sexual assault or a kiddie fiddler or or a womanizer. That is is the nice flip to it, is that you're expecting something to be uncovered and the whole time it's like, no, this this is me. That is actually really cool. That is actually really cool. cool. It was... And the way that Mr. Rogers then becomes intrinsically involved with this reporter's life, how they actually develop. And it's so organic and natural. They develop a really nice friendship together. But it's never it's not a friendship like you and I have. It's kind of paralleling lives. Although they're not going, they're not going through the same thing at all. They're at completely different stages in their life. But Mr. Rogers almost takes on the role of father figure for him. Mm. And almost not even father figure almost the role of therapist and there is just so many heartwarming scenes and tom hanks man he, he's just so fucking good like i know it's something we take for granted like hey brock lesnar's a big dude it's like he had no shit it's like yeah tom hanks is a good actor he had no shit it's like but how good is he <laughs> like, i know i know it's nuts it's fucking nuts is that the only Tom Hanks from you this, on this? Um, I believe so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was also a film, it was on Netflix very recently, and I didn't get a chance to watch it, and then I saw it was on Apple TV, Greyhound. And I only caught part of it, so I can't put it on the list, but it actually looked really good, and he looked stellar once again. 
So just want to put that shout out at the time as well. I find it really weird that Tom Hanks isn't more of a box office draw because if you break the figures down, he is universally loved. Like you do not meet people who say, oh, I don't like Tom Hanks. No one says that. No one. <laughs> who? I think, I think no. we went on to this before. There is actually, I don't, I really don't want to get into it like on air. You're missing. But if you, if you go into his Instagram, you'll see there's a lot of hate because there's this weird theory out there. I, I, I call it weird because of, I don't know the full details, but there is a theory that he's part of a, a certain ring, if you would, um, of the Epstein nature kind of thing. It's, it's not nice. And where's you will the see the hate online. Where's, where's the proof? Bro, I, listen, I don't know the full details, so I don't want to get into it. But I'm just saying the hate is actually out there in a way that I was so shocked. Like, I thought it was genuine nice guy. Someone brought it to my attention. I was like, damn. I'm going to be Googling Tom Hanks and Jeffrey Epstein after this. I'm, I not, I'm not saying it's ne- Epstein itself, but it's in that nature. Basically, there are rumours going around that he's a kiddie fiddler, like paedophile. It's, it's yeah, not us. Rumours, rumours. I'm just saying it's out there in a weird, weird way. I'm now going to quote a line from the fucking movie that they say about Mr. Rogers. I'm going to say about Tom Hanks. Life, world, do not ruin my childhood. Listen, I get it. I get it. I, I'm just saying, based on your question, I didn't say I have, I, I've reserved judgment on this, right? You know, okay. As you said, you need more weird circle of people who choose to lambast Tom Hanks without evidence, allegedly, I will be looking into this, and my current status quo and what my current knowledge that I have right now at this present moment in time, Tom Hanks should be, I think, universally loved. He is an absolute Oscar darling, only one of two men ever to win the Best Actor Award back-to-back years. Not even the great Daniel Day-Lewis has done that, man. That's a Daniel Day-Lewis never does two movies back-to-back. So that's not a comparison. But he's an Oscar darling. He's pretty much universally loved other other than by a select few. And yet his movies never like do bomb numbers, you know, like mega numbers. You know what I mean? And it's like, what? Why? It is weird. I don't know. People watch his movies. They love them. People are happy when he wins the Oscar. Like, why did he, is he not more of a draw? It's weird. So it's, it's a weird one to do with the marketing. Now, I don't watch a lot of TV, so I can't really get into it too heavy. But I don't think they're being promoted as much as you would see other films going out there. And I think mm-hmm. with that lack of knowledge creates lack of attention, which creates lack of income. Oh, yeah, you're, you're never going to see a Tom Hanks movie that's got, like, a fucking Marvel or Star Wars marketing budget behind it. We'll put it this way. It's only when he's Woody does he get a lot of money being thrown into the marketing campaign. The rest of them just doesn't happen. None of them match a Toy Story budget in terms of advertising. That's true. And if they did, you, you might get good results because they're not bad films. They are and very good. Toy Story 3 is a billion-dollar movie. Yeah, talking of Toy Story, have you heard that they're releasing oh, Lightyear? Lightyear? No. Have a, let's have a Buzz or Lightyear. It's one of the two. I can't remember what it is. But basically, Chris Evans will be voicing Buzz. And basically, the whole story is Chris of... It's not, yeah. Okay. And Why? Basically, it's just Tim Adams. What it, what it is, it's a pre-story. And it's not of the toy. It's actually of the character that influenced the creation of Buzz Lightyear the toy. Weirdly, I'm into that. It, it's interesting because for, for the amount of times I've said, like, I've had enough of Toy Story, this is the spin I can work with. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm very, I, very into that idea. Yeah, it, it, it's something completely different, but it's from the world of Toy Story. I'm totally into it. Yeah, love that idea. Totally into it. Cool. Well, my number nine, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. My number eight, a movie which, you know, for, for me, I was th- I thought at the beginning of the year, this is going to be a top two, top three movie. Stand number eight from Christopher Nolan, Tenet. Oh, bro, I have to be honest with you. I've started, I, 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 I needed more attention. I need to go back to it. I, I'm, I've streamed and I'm like, huh, I'm not, I, I, I was confused. I, yeah, yeah. I, I was on yeah. my list. I was like, I want to get into this, but I need to start again. Yeah. Well, look, I've, I've seen it start to end. I will be the first to put my hands up and say, look, I saw it when we had that little few weeks spell when the cinemas opened again and I caught it in the cinema. I'm happy I did because visually it's quite, you know, Nolan films need a grand scale. Um, I actually think he went a bit too far this time. With his obsession with time, I think he went that little bit too far and lost me because... There's even that line at the beginning of the movie when they're explaining how the reversal of time works and the scientist even says, don't try to understand it. It's like, what? You're giving me full-on breakdowns with NASA scientists about, you know, the gravitational pull of a wormhole and talking to me about the Einstein-Rosen bridge. Like, you've never treated me like an idiot, Mr. Nolan, ever. You've made it challenging for me and you've always encouraged me to be like, okay, I need to understand this better to appreciate the movie better. But I actually think Tenet went too far. There's some really good parts to it. Notably, Robert Pattinson, who is fucking excellent in this film. Just excellent. And people are like, that's Batman? (laughs) Yeah, you agree with me now, don't you, motherfucker? Because he is great in this. I actually think for all the fucking praise I've given him over the course of the last, well, since Black Klansmen, I think David Washington was fucking miscast as all hell. So miscast. And I saw little creaks seeping in, which I didn't see in Black Klansmen of going, oh, you ain't Denzel. I mean, so I still haven't seen Klansmen and I was watching him and I was like, oh, you're not your daddy. But I didn't have bet arguments with him like to the degree that it bugged me but what did is i'm just going on the film and the the concept of the film and the explanation was at one point i was led to believe it was the metal right Mm. and then it looked like the whole world was able to go into reverse because i'm i'm in the part spoiler whatever you want to call it where they're trying to break into the building with the plane and all of this and the other and it was pretty cool. And I'm watching a reverse fight and I'm like, hold on. So one minute it's a gun. Now the entire time is going in reverse. Like, wh- where are we going with this? And I'm now, I'm still trying to wrap my head of what exactly is permitting people to go in reverse. And then yeah, it's like, they're the ones permitting people to go into reverse. Yeah. And I was, all of it. And I was just, the confusion just wasn't there. And I'm like, okay, you get it. So then sometimes you will do it. Sometimes you, and it was just like, I think that was the thing. You're trying to be too smart. And sometimes trying to be too smart puts your own plot holes into you. And you're just like, But I'll say this. I'll say this. I remember in 2010 when Inception came out and that, you know, even South Park did a piss take of Inception, you know, because the, the, the stigma was it's being too clever for its own good. That was literally the soundbite when you spoke to people 10 years ago about Inception. Oh, it's trying to be too clever. Now we've all gone back and rewatched it. 
we've we now know what to expect and we're able to look at the you know the the blueprint of it the details how it all comes together and we appreciate it for me inception is a movie you appreciate more and more and more each time i have a feeling i, I may be completely wrong here but i have a feeling in 10 years time we're going to look back at Tenet and go, actually, that was that's a fucking film. So I need to finish it. And this is my true judgment on this. But you know, with Inception, the beginning, you're like, what are you on about? And mm. once the once the explanation is gone, you know, once he's in that world and he shows her like where her, her mind goes out of control and then the actual action, the actual heist takes place. You know what you're in for and you kind of understand that, OK, they're in five different worlds, you know, five different dream worlds. With this one, I'm like, I need that point where I can just buy into the movie because I'm what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to understand their thing, but also try to appreciate the action that's going on. And they're just colliding at the moment without being two separate things. Whereas you could kind of do that with Inception. You're like, okay, I may not get the story, but I get what they're trying to do. The logic of how Inception works, I still haven't got, but I understand the action. This one, they just clash against each other and you're like, but it 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 shouldn't work it can't work and that's where the but let me finish it we may come back and i might have a different answer absolutely not a film you can see once i mean bro i'll I'll give the reason it makes the list is because i appreciate any movie that makes me question shit Mm. you know you, you can appreciate movies in a different way it's all it's all very well you know consuming a marvel movie or consuming a star wars movie or a big ip real talk they're not exactly, you know, deep, but they're just highly entertaining, right? You know, you watch them, you love them, they trigger an emotional reaction in you, usually a nostalgic one. You appreciate them for that reason. You're seeing an IP that you love on screen, is that like, oh, my childhood come to life? You know, it's it's very <laughs> on the surface. There are movies that ask that ask more of you. And I have always been drawn to those movies sometimes when it's asking more of me and i scratch beneath the surface and i look into it i actually end up disliking it because i'm like yeah now i've looked i think you're wank it can be i'm still on the fence with tenet what i do know is that it's encouraging me to go back and watch it again and really make me think and i appreciate movies that do that though it's biggest condemnation which i haven't touched on yet what the fuck is kenneth branner doing in this film he was powerful though he was shit. You didn't like him. Oh, you don't pull the tiger's tail. Shut the fuck up. What was he doing? He was overacting. Bro, I have... What? Kenneth Branagh is a national treasure. I have never ever said this about Branagh. Branagh, ever. He was awful. Awful in this movie. What was this overacting he was doing? I, it depends if it depends how far we go. Because in the beginning, he had, well, when I first seen him now, he hasn't bothered me yet. Wait for he it. He hasn't bothered me yet. Wait for it. Because, uh, you know, like when I saw that threat when he's like, we're going to kill you and then we're, we're going to slash your throat and put your balls in your throat. And one of the most conceited, you know, pleasurable things is seeing a man trying to take his balls off of his throat while he's choking. I was like, damn, that's a threat. Like he, he's kept it quite passive at the moment. If it gets worse, How I'll... What comic book villain is that? It's like, we're going to cut your balls off. Then we make... Well, you- I, get I get it. But you, you know, in a film like this, you needed like elements to it. But if it gets over the top, I just thought like he, 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 you could see he was in character to a point, but I obviously the, the line is ridiculous. It's not, it's not, it's not brick top. Do you know what I mean? It's not, it's not, um, John Wick. It's not that kind of level of <laughs> villain. But I was I mean, like, he went a bit there. He went a bit fucking brick top. He may have been reciting the definition of insurrection as far as I'm concerned. 
<laughs> it, was, it was a weird one, but I, that's I'll, an infliction of retribution. Me horrible cunt. You know he may as well have been doing that. I I I, I need to see. I, I need to finish the film. I really can't pass judgment, but I'm a bit lost to a degree that. Yes, I don't mind questioning stuff. I actually like being surprised and questioning bits and trying to take my best bit. But when it goes into another format where I'm just all over the place, I just, no, nah, I, I can't. Yeah, this one, I'm, I'm hoping I, I, it will unravel. I'm just a bit lost at the minute. Too lost. Mm. Yep, I'm feeling the same. So yeah. that's why, And that's why it's my eight, because it's not one for a one-time viewing. I need to rewatch it. Cool. What, what's your number seven? My number seven was the one that we had so much debate on, and I'm sure you haven't seen it yet. Sonic the Hedgehog. No, I wanted to for this list, but I couldn't find it. Yeah, uh, I was lucky enough to have caught it. And honestly, it's one of those films that the, the, the opening to the film was what really got me. I was really excited to see like Green Hill Lane or whatever. It, that, you know, it was exactly that world. And then it was that the coins became portals. And I was a bit like, really? Really? But... It, it it still gives you a good story because it's now Sonic in the real world and he's che- partnered up with James Marsden, who I haven't seen in a very long time, yeah, actually, personally. So it's good to see that. Jim Carrey as Dr. Rob- is it Robotnik? Dr. Eggman is what they call him now, isn't it? Yeah. And the elements just worked. It, it, it was a... How can I say it? It surprised me because I was actually going into it thinking this film is going to suck. Do you remember they had the whole reimagining of Sonic because it went bad? And I was like, okay, well... Let's just see what comes of it. And overall, it was, it's senseless. It's going to be senseless. But it was, it's Sonic just trying to get back home and the coins and the villain. It, it's computer game. It's based on Sonic the Hedgehog. How deep can the bloody film get? But I had fun with it. It, it was actually something good. The, the ending of the telling you Sonic 2 was going to come had me like, yeah, I'm actually up for this. It wasn't, it, it's just a very easy watch movie. Don't look for anything special. It's just a hedgehog trying to get back to his mystical land, you know, and in the real world and the intertwining of two worlds and the evil robot. So old school, the evil man trying to lower it down. And obviously Jim Carrey is an eccentric scientist. What more can you ask for? (laughs) If you love Jim, that's what you're looking for. Yeah, I heard he was solid in this film. I loved him. I loved him in it. It was, it was, it's the Jim Carrey overacting that you're over, you know, the, overacting can be a sin if you look at like Will Ferrell, but then you take Jim Carrey who does it in a way that you just appreciate it. And he did, mm. he did. And he's playing with one weird and wonderful gadget. I, I was, I was into it. Yeah. I was into it. There's not much to add to it because it is literally that it's a video game movie. Spoiler that, you know, they, they give you a hint of tales looking for Sonic at the end and you're like, this is cool. Like it, if you've Tails. ever played the game, at the very end, you see Tails and you're like, okay, Sonic 2 is going to be banging. Wow. Okay. That's got I'm me. So, I am so sorry to anyone who hasn't seen it because that is a major spoiler, but. No, no, no. Fuck it. That's, that actually has been a catalyst to say, okay, now I actually want But there you go. It, it sways your vote into a degree for some people. Like, I'm not going to watch that shit. No, it's fun. It's fun. I wonder if Shadow and Knuckles make it in. I'm I'm wondering when. I'm wondering when. I know they're going to be part of it because you know his world is going to expand. But yeah, it, it's it, they, they'll they'll be there. They'll be there eventually. I don't know if it's by number two, but they'll be there. Knuckles was fucking overpowered in the game. <laughs> Just putting that out there. Yeah. How many hits could he take? Sonic was like, you dead. <laughs> Tails, one hit, you dead. Knuckles, come at me, fuckheads. It's like, what? Was that a hit? <laughs> <laughs> right. 
right? Hey, you can fly. I can climb with my knuckles. I know. It's so weird. It's cool, but so weird. Yeah. Cool edge. But cool. yeah. Oh, what the fuck? <laughs> using knuckles is like using odd job and golden eye. It's like, well, that's not really the point. <laughs> I always used to say that one. It's like when you used to play the rock on the early SmackDown games, it was like, okay, victory. Yeah, you had to do that to beat Rhino, didn't you, you bitch? Listen, it works, mate. It works. As long as you know that what you did was cheap and that cool. yeah, you could not touch the you could not touch the gore. Go fuck yourself. That is such a personal joke, guys, but yeah, I where, where I had mastered SmackDown. Forever be with me. I owned you at that game. Owned it, it, so weird. Some of the ah, some of the losses I had on a video game, and that was one of them where I literally had the match and bang a gore, and it was just there. The Rhino gore just had me done. One, two, three. And I was like, no, no, no. I I had this match, but yes, sure enough, victory was yours. You may have won the battle, but the war was yours. So <laughs> well played. It, it is what it is. <laughs> It was good. So that was your that was your seven. Yeah. What's your six? I know this one. I think morally you wouldn't have watched it. And I, I'll be honest, I actually watched it yesterday. Finished it. This oh, I am intrigued. What have we got? That was the one that pissed you off insanely, based on the rule of cinema. Trolls World Tour. Nope. I knew you wouldn't have watched it. I knew you wouldn't Veto. have watched it. Veto. Hmm? Veto. <laughs> there was a lot of. First- Nail in the coffin of cinema dying. Fuck that film. I knew. Uh, do you know what? I, I knew. I, I I knew you weren't going to watch it, and partially that's why I pushed myself in there. Why it came out so high is because it's actually better than the first film. The story behind it is actually one that is quite educational, dare I say, but it's also quite reminiscent of school. You know, you had each different group: those who listened to rock, those who listened to hip hop. They all used to clash, and it was oh, you can't talk to that one. Da 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 da. This one was. To the kids, it just shows that no matter who you are and what background you have. Do you know what the story is about, by any chance? No. <laughs> Most people wouldn't. Have you seen the first Trolls movie? No. Have a soul, man. We meant to watch all the films that come out in the year. <clears throat> I have a nephew at home. Is it? So you'll watch the Will Ferrell films, yeah? I have watched more Will Ferrell films than you. Some of them are not worth my time, but <laughs> I've so done it. Who is the man who is richer in time as a result? <laughs> yeah, no, no, because for my sins, I, I sometimes miss out on gold, on gold and stuff. What is the most valuable commodity on the planet? Time, motherfucker. True. So the first one, anyway, let's get back into it. Then save time. The first trolls movie was literally just the trolls versus these kind of ogres who try to eat them and some weird shit like that. This one actually shows you that in the trolls world, it's actually bigger than just their world, and it's comprised of different trolls of different so the trolls that we followed essentially are now actually called the pop trolls then you have your rock trolls and your classical trolls different parts of the island it's so weird but it works in a way that they're on this weird journey but i i I found it quite educational for the kids and a couple of nice tracks along the way ozzy osbourne playing an old rock god (laughs) that's That's fun yeah sam rockwell plays this somewhat country western sam troll who ends up in this sam rockwell plays a troll what the fuck yeah yeah that's, and the, guy, he, that's the guy who i praise 
Bro, the film's actually not that bad. Honestly, I, I, I thought, let me go in there. Let me see what's about, because I know it's one that should be a topic of discussion because it changed cinema, essentially. Mm. And cinema in, in the sense of film and going to the cinema itself, it, it not going in the cinema, yeah. put people in there. The, the, the problem we have, and we have to be honest with this, is that we have films that were scheduled for release, films that are in production and post-production that are still scheduled to go up. Mm-hmm. There had to be a point where, let's look at it, Soul is now going out on Disney+, Plus. Mulan has gone out into Disney. Underwater. Now, yes, we may blame we may blame trolls for this, but we couldn't have caught up. There are films that are still going to have to be made. Like There was no way of actually catching up. They had to go somewhere. And the fact that we've actually even entered a second lockdown dare I say it was somewhat preemptive like there was no actual telling when this was going to come to an end yeah you're trying to justify it which I appreciate there's a major difference with what you're saying major Disney cannot be included in this argument because it's a Disney movie being released on a Disney platform Mm -hmm. they're doing their own licensing fees they're still making a profit from this right (laughs) The studio, yeah. what they did was they choose to they chose to test the waters and actually take a financial loss for the sake of eliminating the middleman. That is fucking poison. Hold on. Hit me with that one again. Trolls made a loss. You do realize that. Okay. A massive loss. Mulan didn't cost them anything. They made money on Mulan. Right. It's a movie. They didn't have to pay licensing fees to it. The streaming platforms, yeah. which took on Trolls, fucking, I believe it was, was it Universal who made Trolls? Universal had, they had to pay massive licensing fees to Universal. So first off, the streaming services hosting Trolls are making a loss on the movie. The studio choosing to release Trolls on a streaming service are not getting bums in seats and are not making money from it. So two parties are making a loss here. And the third party making a loss is the cinema. Every single party involved in this trolls release made a loss. And the reason universal chose to do it was this theoretical belief that we are moving into a world where cinemas are becoming redundant. And I'm sorry to have that theory is fine. But when the end result is every single party involved in the release of this movie made a financial loss, you're not only killing the cinema industry, you're going to kill the fucking middle ground movie industry. Remember, I've been saying for the longest time, we are moving into a world because of this fucking film where you're not going to see middle ground anymore. Anything between sort of 40 million up to about 100 million in budget is going to disappear. To be fair, I think that problem was there before this film. This film pushed it over the edge, mate. You need to recognize that. I'm not. Everyone made a loss on this. The cinemas made a loss because bums didn't go in seats for this movie. And a movie like Trolls would have made bucks at the cinema. Why? Because it's a kid's film, which means for every one ticket you're selling, you're selling two. So it's a double income movie because by proxy, it's a kid's movie. The streaming services lost out by hosting this film because they had to pay a licensing fee to universal. And it was just part of their release package. You didn't have to pay a premium to watch trolls on streaming. 
That was stupid. Nope. Is that, is that the case? That's the case. You didn't have to pay a premium. They had a deal that trolls would just go to streaming. Right. Now, the third thing. Universal made a loss on it because they'd already done their marketing campaign. But that, that, was, that, that was never The campaign was done. So that's a third of the budget on top of the total budget pissed away. And then they didn't recoup the money on the actual budget. This was hundreds of millions of dollars loss on this film. Nobody won here. And all it did, the only people who benefited were the audience. Right? Now, Ooh. unfortunately, if we live in a selfish world where we think, oh, the audience is one out, right on. We're so lucky. Okay, cool. But here's the problem now, right? Unfortunately, audiences need to be held accountable to actually pay for movies. You can't be giving free movies away when they're costing a million to make. And that's what. So, yeah. It's like introducing a kid to candy. You're going to give it to them and they're going to fucking love it, right? That doesn't mean it's good for them. It's poison. It has poisoned the industry. Hmm. I I shall delve deeper into this one, but I understand. I I get your point. I get your point. It's bad. You're number seven. My number seven. So this is another one that came out in January 2020. Once again, I'm bringing Robert Pattinson to the table along with Willem Dafoe, The Lighthouse. Didn't even hear it though. This is a fucking weird film. <laughs> Holy shit, this this fucking film. It is it blurs the boundary somewhere between horror and psychological suspense and thriller. The story is a simple one in premise. So Robert Pattinson plays the assistant to a, a, a remote lighthouse. They're out. It's not one of those uh, lighthouses that's attached to land. It's literally out on this little rock in the middle of fucking nowhere, surrounded by really, really rough seas off of the coast of New England. Mm-hmm. Uh, Willem Dafoe kind of plays, you know, the seasoned, really, really experienced lighthouse guard, and he brings Robert Pattinson in and gradually gives him harder and harder and harder tasks. Everything from emptying chamber pots to, you know, dealing with the cistern to making sure that he brings up kerosene so the lighthouse is fueled, you know, really puts him through his paces. Now, just when Robert Pattinson is supposed to be getting off the island, a massive storm hits and he's unable to leave. And through the course of this storm, a lot of bad shit happens. He starts to have, you know, nasty fucking horrific visions. He starts to get cabin fever by being isolated in one place for so long with just the one person who he inherently doesn't really get along with. They, the storm kills their rations, so now it's kind of a survival element thrown into it. They start to drink so much that they use up all of the gin supplies and they start fucking mi- mixing honey with uh, turpentine to, for the sake of getting drunk. So it, it delves really, really deeply into things like homoeroticism. It's got uh sailor mythology thrown into it because some of his apparitions are monstrous it's things like him fucking a mermaid literally it's really horrific no no but it's done in a way that really really fucking hits you like there's no comedy here it's it's really nasty graphic imagery 
Um, there's, you know, all sorts of, you know, uh, condemnations on alcoholism. And it's one of those, it's very art house, like major art house. Don't expect some sort of grand reveal at the end. The end is left purposefully open to interpretation. This film is all about the visual imagery. And it's one. Of, it's very hard to follow along because they, they're using a kind of old New England accent. So, you know, Newfoundland accent. And it's... It, even for me as you know a native english speaker it was very hard to follow along with what they were saying um i don't entirely know why they chose to do that but it really does make you hang on every single word they're saying because you're having to concentrate that much harder even the way they shot it was interesting they did it in the old uh four by three um square dimension instead of being wide it was like that so okay. the film feels kind of like an old film it's shot in black and white like I've never really seen anything like it. It's mental. Do you know what? I'm, I'm, it's weird because some of the shoot, the way it's shot kind of makes you believe it's found footage, but it's not, which is interesting. It, it sets its tone while not being, t- you know, to have it in a specific frame, having it in black and white, but at the same time, not being found footage. It's, it's interesting. It's it's one that encourages you a lot more to think about the themes that are going on instead of the actual story that's being told, if that makes sense. Hmm. It's very, very visceral image. Very, very thematic. Like don't expect very simple. We start at a, we finish at Z end of story. It's like, no, (laughs) it's, it's quite a, it's quite a brutal watch in some parts. Hmm. And it's, for the performances alone, like, I mean, you've got a legend of the screen in Willem Dafoe. And once again, Robert Pattinson, fucking amazing, holding the screen with an industry legend. Holding and sometimes usurping him. Like, he is stellar in this film. Stellar. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. And where, yeah. what was that? And that's, was that cinema or was that on a streaming service? Or Sky? Yeah, I saw it on Sky, but it was a cinema release, released in January 2020. Okay, cool. Interesting. Right, my number six, The Cheat. Go. <laughs> We've never done this before. The only reason I found this is because someone compiled the whole thing into a movie that lasts about 11 hours and therefore qualifies. The Last of Us Part 2. What a video game you're taking the piss. Nope, I'm not taking the piss. Here's why. Because when you think about I'm not talking about the video game. I am talking about You're talking the, about the cinematic scenes within the video game. Thank you, sir. I am talking about the cinematic scenes within the video game, which some little genius, hear me, some little genius online has compiled into an entire cinematic experience where the movie flows exactly like a movie now i was like maybe this is a bit of a reach but then you look deeper into the way the last of us part two was made it was made this the cut scenes were made like a movie literally they had full-on production crews they did motion capture they, everything that it takes to make a movie was in the last of us part two it doesn't matter that the medium for when the cutscenes aren't playing as a video game, the cutscenes themselves 
compiled together are just a series of clips and frames edited and assembled together, which is how you make a fucking movie. And I can tell you nothing, nothing on this list has left me with the emotional gut punch, the horrific storytelling power that The Last of Us Part 2 brought. Come at me. You know when you said last is the clue? Last of Us came into my head. And I said, no, he didn't go there. Now, I'm going I'm I'm to hit this on various levels. Have you finished The Last of Us Part 2 yet? I have. So you, you finished it before watching the film, right? Mm. There's a part of me that thinks no matter which way it hit you, even if you were going to play this, it should have been number 10 just based on the fact that it shouldn't really quantify within that film, that realm. Because let's be honest, right? Why does this get eliminated, but something like Onward, which is an animated film? Because, because, yeah, because this is hold on, hold on. Because, animated, I, this is scripted, this is motion. Happening. I haven't entirely dismissed this yet because there's a part of me that applauds your bravery in this because there are times I've looked at a video game and thought, hmm, that story would actually work pretty cool within the Rushmore, but it's a video game. So there is a part of me that's like, huh, he got there before me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Are you you vineyard sour grapes? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. I mean, oh, wine with an H. Um, here we go. Let me let me break it down because I know for a lot of people they're going to be like, "Now, nah, Nico's lost me here. He's bringing in a fucking video game in a movie poll." Guys, I have been screaming for years, both on podcast and off podcast, that the boundary, the separation between what constitutes a movie and what constitutes a AAA video game. Now that line is getting awfully fucking thin and it has been for years we've we've had cinematic games in the past things like metal gear solid things like shit even hitman your boy you know these are all very cinematic games but i would never dream of putting a a a metal gear or shit an uncharted there we go another one that's super cinematic uncharted is basically indiana jones the video game basically right we have always had in the realm of the next gen cinematic games, but I have never ever deemed cinematic games, even if you were to compile all their stories together, because it's not the first time someone did this. They did it for God of War. God of War, they compiled together as a movie. They took all the cutscenes, compiled it together. You know, it was about 10 hours. I watched it, loved it. At no point did I think this is a movie. I always stuck with this is a very, very clever ensemble of a video game cutscenes. It didn't cross the line for me. Last of Us Part 2, I have never, ever, ever in my life seen storytelling delivered in such such a way. It's like Martyrs. You, met, you know that French film that we love, and, but love to hate and hate to love, right? It's kind of like that. The outlook on life is so bleak. The storytelling is so visceral, but so relatable, but so real that... What The Last of Us Part 2 has done is, for me, it has bridged that gap. It's it's a, it's going to be, like I was saying about Tenet before, we're going to look back in 10 years and maybe, maybe be like Tenet's a banger. 
we are going to look back in 10 and 20 years time and look at last of us part two and realize that was the moment where video games crossed the boundary and stopped being just a form of you know uh hand-to-eye coordination entertainment and transcended beyond just being it's a game that is cinematic to actually being this is cinematic now It has crossed that boundary. The storytelling hold on, is... Hold on, hold on, hold on. Gameplay is not dependent on the story. I'm not talking about the gameplay. I'm asking this. What do you mean? I'm saying, is your gameplay... So, it, essentially, okay, if I was to take something like Red Dead Redemption 2, depending on the way you arc your character, you have different end results. That is not, not possible within this, right? Absolutely not. And you could fully watch this series of cinematic events without, without playing, playing the game and continuously understand the film. 100%. Absolutely 100%. And uh, do you know who, who I know? Do you know who actually put the idea in my head? I know you're not a big fan of his, considering he ruined Deadpool for you. But the guy who made me entertain this as a possibility was John Campier, because he's an Xbox gamer. He doesn't play PlayStation, right? And he went on for hours... I mean, on multiple episodes that he'd watched this game sequence. This is after I'd finished it, obviously. But he he got on the band chain. He's like, well, I've seen this. This is a fucking movie, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, shut up. It's a fit. And then you, I was like, it's, an, it's one of the best video games I've ever played. It's the best story I have ever played in a video game, hands down. But movie, reach. And then the link he shared to the guy who put this together, I watched it. I was like, motherfucker's right. <laughs> this this is legitimately a movie because what you do in the game and this is where they they made the game so damn well it's linear it's not one of these multiple choice branching route games it's like you are controlling a character who breaking the fourth wall now is set on a predetermined path no matter how you choose to approach each different zone of the game whether you be to go stealthy or action or whatnot it has zero effect ultimately on what happens by the time you get to the end of that zone or of that area of the map. The end sequence will still be the same. These characters who you come into, uh, who, who you cross paths with, will ultimately live or die, depending on where you are in the story. This character will die at that point. This character will betray you at that point. You cannot control that. It is a predetermined, preset, linear game. The story is what makes The Last of Us Part Two transcendent beyond a video game. And the reason I'm putting... How long is that movie? Is, sorry? How long would the movie be? Ten hours. Lord, Ten of hours. The Ring, Lord of the Rings length. So, essentially, we're looking at a period... And if you were to take a two to three hour slot... I, I'm, I'm just trying to break this down for yeah, a reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure, sure. If you were to take a two to three hour slot... It would be the equivalent of where Lord of the Rings stopped at the end of the Fellowship of the Ring. Some bad shit just happened. The characters have still got a lot of journey to go through, but this part of the journey is now done. The, the film, Last of Us Part Two, the film is literally, and I don't even know if they meant to do this. I'd like to think they did because that makes it even more cinematic. It literally does feel like Act One, Act Two, Act Three. It's nuts. There's a part of me that has given it to you. There's a part of me that says there are listeners here that says, and 
do not let him get away with this. <laughs> and I am so torn between the two demons on my shoulders as to which one it should be. One of them is correct. The only thing I can do to those of you who are on his right shoulder saying, don't let him get away with this, I encourage you, YouTube it. Last of Us Part 2 cutscene movie. Go and watch it. It'll be one of the most depressing but amazing 10 hours of storytelling you'll ever sit through. And I defy you to then tell me at the end, that's not a movie. And if your argument is, oh, because it's computer generated, I won't won't hear that argument. Final Fantasy created a film based on that, so you can't do... There's no argument. literally exists because of that. The means by which you are telling the story in the sense that it's... The the more you talk, it doesn't actually defend it. I'm I'm being honest. It's just a matter of thorn. And... I will. There are so many people that are going to go. You're too freaking nice to this guy. It's permitted, but Jesus Christ, that I mean. Please the problem don't. I have with this is then what does one take as a realm of that? Because you you could take any given video game, even God of War, as much as it hasn't hit the same note to you. Essentially, it's telling the story. And it's not this about is why story. I'm being really concise with what I'm saying here. There are, and that's why I preface this with: there have been many, many video games that have told not only a great story but have told a great cinematic story. Metal Gear Solid probably being the prime example of that. Mm-hmm. But this is what I'm looking at. This is why. Yeah, yeah. Like... No, 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 no. I want to be very clear. There are certain constructs within making a film that you do not get in video games, and vice versa. Last of Us Part Two is made like a film. It is not. The only reason it's a video game is because you are physically using a controller to pick it up and control elements of it. Ultimately, you're having your hand held and you're being told a story cinematically. It has, it has, for me, it has, it is the game that has crossed that boundary. And there's no other game that's done that. None, none. It's yours. It's yours. I haven't seen the game, the film, or played the game, people. So excuse me on this one, but I will take I will take your judgment and respect it. Thank you. And can I honestly encourage you? Because I know now that you've got a PS5, you're not going to get around to playing it. Watch oh, I will. Don't you? That, that's it's high on the level. It's high on the list of games to get, especially now that number one comes free with a PS5. Number one is amazing. Number, see, number one. Here we go. Number one. That's a great example. Number one, I would even argue, is a cinematic game. It's not a movie. There is okay. something they did with The Last of Us Part 2 that took it over that line for me. All right, all right. Uh, j- just out of interest, had I really bat it, batted and gone, no, that wouldn't be permitted, did you have uh, possibly an honourable that would have made the list? Just out of interest. Just out of interest. I'm not saying it's not there. I'm just saying, was there a honourable? Do you know what I probably would have done? if you hadn't allowed me this is I would have gone down the route of, okay, there are other 2020 films I haven't seen, but they, that I have seen, but they haven't really impressed me enough to make a top 10 list. Real talk. I probably would have pulled from, cause you know, we were going with the argument of if we don't have enough movies because we've lived in a COVID mm-hmm. time, so we're going to pull movies that weren't necessarily released this year, but that we've seen this year, I probably would have batted for singing in the rain because of all the movies I saw this year, that one made the most impact on me. Okay. All right. Cool. We proceed. You're number five. Okay, we're there. 
This one you had seen before me, but we both got to see. This is Guy Ritchie, The Gentleman. Small punt. Okay. Over to you. Uh, my number five um, from... I'd like to think this is kind of a second chance for the franchise. The Invisible Man. Punt. Hey, my man. You're number four. My number four was the one that we punted on earlier. Um, onward. Oh, yeah. You rate this, huh? Do you know what? It was one of those because, again, sometimes, and Pixar, you, you've always said this, Pixar, sometimes it's beyond just animation, you know? It, there is a story to tell, kind of even like despite your feelings towards the, the, the film itself, Trolls had a message behind it. Onward was special in a way that it it, it didn't actually do anything wrong hmm. for me to be able to rate it lower. So it's, it's now a matter of appreciation, whereas like when I go to The Gentleman, which is what it might have been interchangeable with, there are certain things I was like, mm, I wasn't a big fan of that. Wasn't a big. This one just, it was just a story. Yes, it's aimed for kids, and probably that's why my appreciation was. But inherently, when you look at it and you look at each beat of this mystical creatures that they are, who live in a world where magic is available, and the story of this kid trying to just meet his dad, who he never got a chance to meet because he was a baby, and the quest that they go on. Yeah. And you know Chris Pratt's character being this, it, the, the 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 guy who just can't get it right. It, it touched all the right beats, and there's oh, nothing actually wrong with it. And I was like, you know what? I didn't think I didn't. Again, it's one of those. It's weird sometimes. You look at animation again. You got your IPs, and you're like, got to see it. Then there are others. You're like, oh, I don't know if it's for me. This one, I saw it, and I'm like, I don't think it's for me. Okay, it's got Tom Holland. It's got Chris Pratt. Cool. I I like their work. It mm. actually worked out for me, and I was like, "Yeah, you know what? Well done to you." Yeah, it was wonderful. I loved the I loved the uh, the monster reimaginings of famous monsters. I thought the land they inhabited felt alive. I thought the journey they went on was was touching. I thought that you know the arcs that they both go through and the way that they learn to live with each other and appreciate who the other is despite their shortcomings. It's a very good, concise tale, and yeah. that's why it made my list. But yeah, I guess the only thing I can hold against it is that in the and this is very hard competition, but in the grand pantheon of Pixar movies, I wouldn't rank this towards the higher end. But that's because Pixar's album is so fucking full of quality. Would this be number four in the top ten Pixar movies? No. In what we ha- we call twenty twenty, different story. Sure, sure, I respect that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Not much more. Okay, you're number four. My number four was the punt from just now, the gentleman. There you go. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I <love this> film. <laughs> remember, I said to you, this is a return to form for Guy Ritchie. It is. It is. I remember it, is. it first started, and I was like, "Ooh, is he sure? Is he sure what he's saying?" The more I watched it, the more I was like, "Yeah, yeah, this, this, this is the Guy Ritchie I'm, I'm familiar with." This, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've thrown back the clock to lock, stock, and snatch, and to a degree, rock and roller. We've gone back into our comfort zone, and I'm so happy we have. There are certain directors out there, great as they are and as revered as they are, I do believe work within a certain wheelhouse the best. And I always think that when they try and go into obscure territory, it never really works for them. Another prime one is Martin Scorsese. Just, Marty? (laughs) Don't ever make a film like sign-ins again, please. <laughs> it sucked. It sucked. Don't do that. Stick to gangster films and stop trying to make Robert De Niro young, please. Yeah. Let it go. 
Um, but Guy Ritchie is one who has anyone ever made better British gangster films than him? I know people are going to feel like you get Carters out there, but man, between Snatch, Lockstock, The Gentleman, and Rock and Roller, I can't really think of a better kind of quadrology ensemble of British gangster films. Like it's it's so good, and this really there are scenes in this that really really you could see his like inspirations and you could feel his you know his love for films like pulp fiction like bro that scene where charlie hunnam goes into the estate block and he's telling everyone you know put your feet up take a second it's like this is literally uh, this is literally a build-up to ezekiel twenty five seventeen. i was like what the fuck this yeah. is great yeah and the way that it's told is a kind of flashback. And Hugh Grant is so good in this. It's so unsettling. It's weird. He's so unsettling. It's weird in this film that he's like approachable, but not, you know, and it's, it, he's so twisted. It, it, ah, he, he does really well. And it's not the Hugh Grant you're used to seeing with this somewhat campy yet cockney accent that he uses throughout the film. <laughs> it's just, it's just, yeah, he's tops. It, it, it was really good. Do you know what I thought? I thought that, and it was brilliant because again, you break the fourth wall a little bit, and you know that Hugh Grant fucking loathes, despises the journalists and the press in general. So the fact that he got a chance to play this and make them as slimy as possible, I was like, I know you had some fun making this, (laughs) Hugh. Good for you, mate. Charlie Hunnam, who I have not always rated much, I thought he was brilliant in this. And yeah, Matthew McConaughey, man, the McConaissance continues because he, he was superb in this. Yeah, yeah. And you know what Guy Ritchie does, it, 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 which is his golden touch, is he gives you all these mini stories that you're like, what am I watching? What am I listening to? Especially because it's these flashbacks, you're like going back and it's like, so what's that got to do with that? Just you wait, my dear. And it just keeps going on. And then it all pieces together beautifully at the end. And you're like, you've done it again. <laughs> you've done it again you know I, I always remember that bit is when he's killed the kid and then it's like yeah he's the son of the top russian mobster and you're like oh shit it's all gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, oh damn oh damn this isn't gonna go well but he pieces it together so well with these these little ruses at the end yeah well played well played and again he, yeah he done the guy richie magic it was nice to see it again yeah, and I have to say, Michelle Dockery, who played the wife, loved her. Yeah. Loved yeah. her. Yeah. But I will throw a little... Shit, man, even Colin Farrell was good in this. I forgot about him. He was oh, super... Yeah. Oh, <laughs> the, the, the boxing promoter who's running... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was so nuts. And it was really funny, actually, because when I watched this film, um, do you remember there was one of the black guys, he's a rapper, actually, in it. One of the boxers. He's Bugs, I'm sure it's Bugsy Maloney, his name. I could be wrong. I, mm. I'm not the biggest. But anyway, basically, I had watched this, like, two days after that guy had been involved in a terrible, terrible motorbike accident that, you know, I mean, he's out now, but at the time it looked touch and go. And I thought, mm. oh, my God. Like, I'm, it, it just felt really scary watching this guy, like, two days after that. And uh, even he, th- like, that little boxing crew, they had me laughing. It's all hell, man. It was it was nuts, but it all worked. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's an absolute triumph, The Gentleman. And to come back that strong after making a film as bad as King Arthur, I was like, good. Very, 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 very happy about all of this. 
he was back home. Let's be honest. He was back home. This, this is Guy Ritchie. It? This is the Guy Ritchie I look out for. Yeah, completely. Completely. Okay, what was your number three? My number three, I, I, I've mentioned before, and I'm not sure if you've seen it yet. This is Michael B. Jordan and Jamie Foxx, Just Mercy. Yeah, I wanted to catch this last night, but I couldn't. Yeah, it, it's, you know, this is Michael B. Jordan, Harvard graduate of law, who moved down south. Do me a favor. Keep vamping. I must take a quick bathroom break. Keep talking. That is all good. So the story is literally just of Michael B. Jordan, a Harvard graduate, who moved down south to to just, he, he, he's a lawyer. He's, he's a qualified lawyer. And instead of taking the city laws, he goes down to deep south. I can't remember the, the state he goes to, just to help provide law in there. And the first client that he takes on is a man who's in prison for life, but just having Michael B. Jordan being someone to sit down and listen to what their their, their, their trial is about gives him hope. It, it shows you what he's about. And eventually what he you also see at the beginning of this film is Jamie Foxx's character, who is a lumberjack, self-employed man, who's been arrested by the police for the murder of a woman, coincidentally a white woman. And what you see throughout this film is that a lot of the people, black people are being wrongly accused for crimes and set up and framed, but there's no one really putting in the right defense for them and they can't afford the right defense. So many people have been wrongly sentenced for crimes that they haven't commit. And Michael B. Jordan's character is that character that brings out the turnaround injustice. Um, he, he, he wants to equip people. He, he fights for their justice despite many pleas. And it's, it's not only corrupt lawyers, but it's corrupt judges as well so they don't believe in the system they will imprison these gentlemen because they are black people essentially but michael b jordan will go for retrials and continue fighting for them in in that quest for justice so it shows that turnaround and it's based on a true story as well absolutely really touching film it there were points to it where i felt it dragged but it knowing the story and just catching in i it's one of those i did say i need to watch again but the story really hit home hard and that's why i Listen, I, I, I worship at the altar of Michael B. Jordan. I've I have done since he was a little kid in the wire. I adore this guy. Absolutely adore him. I'm genuinely quite gutted I didn't get a chance to see it. Um but yeah, it's it's very much on my on my to see list. Yeah, it, it's worth watching. This was definitely worth a watch. Definitely worth a watch. Mm. Okay, my number three from yeah. Mr. Sam Mendes, uh nineteen seventeen. Didn't get to see that one. Oh, fuck. Really? Whoa, shit. This film's good. Oh, my days. So, you know the premise, right? It's war. World yeah. War One. Yeah, World War One. Yeah, World World War one. yeah. As with all of these great modern war movies, and there's a number of them I can rifle off, but probably most notably comparable is uh, Catherine Bigelow's The Hurt Locker. You've got your main two guys, but intermittently throughout their journey, you keep running into all these fucking Hollywood A-listers. Like, Richard Madden's in this, then Mark Strong is in this, then Kenneth Branagh's in this. And it's like, I mean, sure, you're in it for five minutes, and you being there in that capacity just somehow fucking works. But the message is really, really touching. So these two guys are tasked with a mission of getting from point A to point B, and to get from point A to point B, you must go across many, many, many hostile territories, be it underground bunkers, trenches, because of course we had trench warfare, to deliver a note to a certain uh, to a certain general that 
one of his brothers has died. It's got a little bit of Saving Private Ryan to it, but unlike Saving Private Ryan, we're not being like, you must leave the war now because all your brothers have died because that wouldn't happen. <laughs> it just wouldn't. Um, it's directing it is, the wrongs of Private Ryan. Kind of, yeah. But it is. It, there's the same premise of your relatives have died in war. We needed to let you know here's the message. So you're essentially following the story of two messenger boys. Now, and what Sam Mendes has done, just like Birdman, just like that famous you know, uh, continuous shot in Goodfellas. Um, the whole movie is one continuous shot. Now, to shoot a war movie like that, it was, yeah. was it, it, it was something. It was like from a tech. For, for, I, I'm lost for words because from a technique standpoint, what Mendes did with that film. I mean, I've seen the trick done before now, but I've never seen it done this well. Oh my goodness, I have never seen it done this well. Because when you consider, like, there are three kind of main areas, four main areas that they go through. You've got this underground, very, very intricate underground bunker that they go through. And you're going with explosions in the dark, rats falling on you, dust particles falling. And you're having to follow these guys in a way so that it's not continuously just over the shoulder, because that wouldn't make it, you know, an inspiring piece of cinema. So the camera angle is constantly changing, but while remaining one continuous shot, it's nuts. And that's in a confined area. Then you get out into this open area and you've kind of, and they kind of navigate walking across an open field to panning up to planes in the sky, to panning back down to them running, to them being in the house, to a plane crashing through the building, to them saving the pilot of the plane. And it's just like in that short space of time, the journey they go on, it's like mother fucker then going into a ruined town and even in the scope of the ruined town it goes from day to night and you've got this crazy scene of him running through the streets at night with explosions going off all around him to eventually arriving at the trenches and then him the camera following him through the trenches to then out on the trenches while a full-on fucking battle is going on and it's like how have you done this how have you made this this is insane I'm, I'm sold. I am sold. I am actually gutted because it, it's, it's funny you say it because I'm like, damn, I forgot about that film. But it is one of the films at the top of that was really high on the list before the world kicked in and done what it had to do. But yeah, no, definitely need to catch up on that one. Yeah, that, that sounds very for you For you, my friend, that's going to be in 300 territory. God damn, I wish I'd seen that at the cinema. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate, it is what it is. But no, I really, really, really want to really want to see that film and you sold it even more now with the visuals I, I'm, I'm all over that it's incredible what's your that, number two my number two this was an apple movie don't know if you saw it huh. it's samuel L. jackson oh god anthony mackie and nicholas holt the banker i've not heard of it mate Really interesting film. Again, touching on the old Black History Month, <laughs> Black History touch here. This one talks about, um, so in your old school laws of the U- of the US, you had your black establishments and your white establishments, and even down to properties, you there was just that glass ceiling that a black man couldn't attain to live in those communities, however smart or educated you know you were with all of this. And what they now do is they are looking for a way to give investment to these black people to be able to invest in their businesses, invest to buy houses in the white community or what have you. And in order to do that, they need to open up their own bank essentially. Now a black man wasn't allowed to own a bank. 
So what did they do? They used Nicholas Holt, who essentially was just a mechanic, if I remember rightly. I saw this earlier in the year. And they, they, they Eliza Doolittle him, if you would. So they now train him to give him all of the education he needs to be able to walk into a bank, to be able to get the investments, to be able to invest, donate into these people and create their own system. It was really powerful. Again, based on a true story. And it, it's how black people started to gain power within the US and what was then done to try and stop that. Essentially, it then talks to people trying to corrupt Nicholas Holt's character to try and get him back on side, if you would, you know, to help the white community to stop what's going on. And it's, will he be swayed? Won't he be swayed? How the investments go forward? And essentially, it's being seen as something that is illegal because they created a character that wasn't there and what have you. But in the same way, they created certain loopholes to be able to protect certain things and create investments within a community. So it was really interesting and telling to see the development of how stuff were able to turn around by doing a couple of shady moves, you know. Um, then you've obviously got the the police and whatnot on the tail, and that again leads into influence and whatnot. Uh, but it was really good, really good story, and it was available. And it was, I don't think it was ever scheduled for cinema release. It was an Apple movie, and that's mm. how I was able to see it. Top film, really good film, great performances from everyone. Okay, nice. Yeah. Um, okay, not much to add as I haven't seen it. Uh, my number two. I have a feeling you missed this one again, despite the fact that I was making even more noise at the time about see this even more than 1917, Jojo Rabbit. <laughs> so here we go. Can I be honest? I nearly did watch this one. However, no, 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 no. You have to appreciate that when you try to influence to watch this film and you're asking for someone to watch a film about Hitler being a positive imaginary friend character, it doesn't go down. He was at, at no point was Hitler presented as a positive imaginary oh, we, friend. Oh, two, sets. two sets. And AJ has now disappeared and he is sticking his head through the door and we are still trying to podcast here and my friend has gone. But I would like to reaffirm at no point Coming up, back. at no point was Hitler presented as a positive imaginary friend character. If you think that, I'm not saying you think that because you haven't seen the movie, but I'm saying those who watched the movie and thought that, you missed the point of the movie. No, bro, trust me. So I was able to get it. I was streaming it, and I'm just seeing this kid and Hitler's hand up, and I was like, it it just didn't touch the right sensitivity notes, and it was like, I'd prefer not to watch this, so I had to just eliminate it. I just had the chance to go back. Jojo Rabbit is fucking incredible. What Taika Waititi managed to achieve with this, and you think at face value, like, because I'm with you. Like you, you don't. There are certain things that you, you just do not lend themselves to comedy. You don't joke about Adolf Hitler. You don't joke about the atrocities of World War Two. It's like that. That's that transcends taboo. That's just no. And what Taika Waititi did that was so clever, so clever, is he managed to take something that is inherently taboo, and you don't taboo in the sense that you don't make comedy about it. As I said. Mm-hmm. He never made World War II a comedy, and that's where he was so clever. Because there are moments of uncomfortable powerfulness in this film, like hangings and the way that they're, you know, murdering Jews. Like they don't, they don't make a, you know, and the way that they're talking about Jewish people, they don't make a secret of it. It's now, there. more and more as you're talking, you can understand why the missus was like, "I'm not going to watch this film." <laughs> She'd be crazy not to. 
I'll, I'll have to watch it fully and see if it's I can saying you're not going to watch that. Is that saying you're not going to watch Schindler's List? It's yeah, like very, I, I, I have to watch fact, the very fact that she, her, her, you know, she's Jewish and she, you know, her and her ancestry would have been directly involved in this makes me say even more reason for you to watch it. Mm. Because yeah. what this movie shows, and this is where it's so clever, is that it shows the whole play out of events through the point of view and the psyche of a child and the innocence of a child. But the reason Hitler's shown as this playful character is because children, and he, remember, he's imaginary, he's not real. Hitler in this isn't actually there. He's mm-hmm. a, you know, he's the child's he's imaginary. imaginary. Yeah, he's yeah. like, I will be as a as the Fuhrer wants me to be, you know? And the reason they're doing that is because it's essentially a condemnation on how they were managing to warp the minds of the young boys from so early. And it's so important that you do that because, okay, minor spoilers. Well, spoilers here. You essentially go from a point at the beginning of the film where the kid and his imaginary Adolf are like bosom buddies, best of friends, BFFs, to a point where he literally wants nothing to do with him at the end because he's realized that what Zephyrer is doing is so inherently wrong that it's cost him his family. The fact that he's keeping a Jewish girl, you know, hidden away in his attic. And it's very clever the way that, because you're like, okay, well, that, why doesn't he just give her up? The way, reason he doesn't give her up, very organic and natural. I won't spoil that part for you. But, you know, it's a story about humanity, ultimately, because the boy goes from being, you know, indoctrinated, full of propaganda, Jews are evil, they're the whole, you know, they've got horns and all they care about is thievery and gold, to when he actually comes into contact with one and realizes not only is she a beautiful, wonderful human being, with a soul just like me, but he actually really cares for her. And the movie is encouraging you to look beyond just, I'm, you know, not Jewish. She is Jewish. And that's where Taika Waititi had, I think somehow managed to pull off the impossible task of making the comedic moment stand out in a way that you were laughing because and it's laughing in a way that almost ridicules the Nazis. It's like, you know, <laughs> They say that the line between tragedy and comedy is so thin, right? But it's like the tragedies of World War II, if, you know, they hadn't happened, they could literally be a comedy because break it down. You're talking about a man who fucking labeled millions of people as just the same. That in itself is a laughable fucking concept. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 it's ridiculous by its nature. But yet this fucking thing happened. This great tragedy happened. And you're seeing this through the point of view of a child, the innocent point of view of a child, and you're watching him grow and realize that this is wrong. This is wrong what we're doing. So, yeah, it's kind of a comedy, but it does not shy away from showing what, you know, the shit mm-hmm. that was done in World War II. And somehow it's... I've never, ever seen a director tread the line so wonderfully, beautifully, and carefully between keeping it comedy, keeping the comedy and something that's, you know, difficult to talk about tasteful and never, ever cross that line into, no, you shouldn't have done that. It's got a sensitivity and sensibility to it that, I mean, it deserves endless fucking credit. And it just shows that Taika Waititi is a lot more than just vampire dick jokes. He's got such sensibility as a director. he's, He's nuts nuts how how good this movie is cool 
No, I, I will. Moments that will legitimately draw a tear from you. I, I will definitely give it a shot. Definitely, definitely be giving that a shot. Um, talking of vampire jokes, I have seen episode one of What We Do in the Shadows. <laughs> I, I, I made it a promise that it would be done before the season is out, so that that is there. I must admit, at first I was watching it, I'm like, nah, I prefer the film, prefer the film. Wait and then it. the closing, like not closing moments, but it started to build up and it it just started hitting you quicker and faster than you can in the film. And I realized that they're doing, they're doing the long haul on it because they don't have to squeeze it all in. And that is the magic behind this one. So I, it really got there, you know, creepy paper. It's crepe paper. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I, I will be on board with that one for sure. So you haven't got the werewolves yet. No, no, no. I'm, it's episode one, very tight schedule, but I, I, I made a promise and yeah, I'm, I'm in, I'm in. Bro, I, I've I, Anya and I sometimes we just do, <laughs> we just bring up jokes from it at randomly. Like there's one in season two where she calls someone a knob lord, and I was like, that is the best fucking thing ever. <laughs> yeah, what do you want to talk about, you knob lord? Knob lord, knob lord. Have you met the Have you met the emotional vampire yet? Oh, he cracked me up. Yeah, he's so he's good, great. isn't he? he yeah, he's I'm so good. And the thing is, is like, chances are you probably have met an emotional vampire now. Of course. Yep. <laughs> of course. It makes so much sense. Yeah, that had me laughing. It did have me laughing. I'm, I'm on board. I'm on board. And right. It, 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 so Jojo cool. Rabbit, I would definitely be checking out. Right. For Please. my worst, this one's a weird one, right? Because mm. I, the, the trailer made it look, ex- I, I first thought it's not a film for me. Saw the trailer and I was like, hmm, I'll give it a shot. Then I started to watch it and it just could, I just couldn't get on board. I haven't finished it. And I always hate making a film worse if I can't finish it. But this is where I'm at with this one. It was Emma. Ah, yeah. I never saw Emma. Yeah. It was a weird one. It looked like it had a lot of story, but then it just, you can see that she's meant to be a matchmaker in the film. That's what it's meant to be. I've not seen the the previous films. I've not read the book. So I'm not going to proclaim to be an expert on this, but you know, you're talking Jane Austen book. But the more I watched it, the more I was like, you're just trying to confuse me. And where Tenet is confusing, but it's like, I need to get, I want to get my head around this one. This one was just like, you're confusing and you're just boring. Like there was nothing in it for me. I was looking for a few jokes and, you know, you've got Bill Nye in there. Anna Taylor-Joy is doing amazing. But it's just like, it just didn't give everything. Everyone was in their period and playing it right. right? Um, Miranda's in there. I'm not really Miranda's biggest fan, but fair enough. But like, I was just like, this isn't giving me anything. And I remember it was me and the missus. We we're both watching it. And she was like, do you want to, f-? like, she was saying something along the line of, do you want to finish this a bit later? Or do you want to continue watching? I'm like, it's not really doing it for me. And she's like, oh, I'm glad that makes two of us. And it, it just kind of got left there. Mm. And that's why I just like, I, I want to finish it because I like to give films that justice, but it just didn't give me anything to buy into. I just okay. couldn't get into it. Fair play. Yeah. Cool. I know what your worst is. I had a feeling it would be there. Birds of Prey. Yeah, Birds of Prey. Fuck that film. Do you know, Birds of Prey just lacked content. And it nearly, there was a point where I nearly played worse with that as well. There was a few films that were being juggled for worse, actually, for me. Um, They were on a weird scale of, do they become number 10? Do they become worse? But... it's a weird one for me because it, it, it lacked context, but it gave me something more than Bad Boys for Life did, hence why they're in the positions that they are. 
Um, I get, well, I get I your arguments. Life must be really shit. I, I get your arguments, bro. I fully get your arguments. Where the film lacks a lot, it lacks a lot. It's really it weird that in terms continuity. Of- it legitimately doesn't have any continuity. One moment she's in rollerblades, one moment she's not. One moment they are the characters there. One moment they've just magically disappeared. One moment we're in one location. One moment we've magically transported to a next. One moment we're following one plot thread. One moment that plot thread has been completely abandoned. One moment the villain is scary. One moment he's not. One moment a character's interesting. One moment they're not. The movie is like fucking Scooby-Doo on speed. It has is completely nonsensical it is not entertaining it didn't give me any tips of the hat to the comic books the fucking characters were absolutely by the numbers they were boring they were predictable there is nothing redeeming about this film not even margot robbie as harley quinn i even thought she went too far in this this film top to bottom sucks do you know what i think they done or dc tried to do is you know how fox just relied on Wolverine throughout yes. their films. With this one, I think they just thought, yeah, we've got Margot playing Harlequin. The world love it. Let's just go. And they didn't actually put everything together and it was a weird setup in it. And I, it, I, I, I'm trying to reach back because I haven't watched it twice. Just, but I found some redeeming moments in it. I can't remember what they are, to be honest, but I remember having some level of enjoyment that I was like, it's loose. It's very loose, but I can kind of go on board. It's not one of the greatest films ever but i i was able to play along with it you know and that's why it is where it is i get i get what you're saying i'm not even going to try and defend it to be like oh no 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 but you missed the point there wasn't a great point to it no but it, it didn't it, deliver anything it literally didn't deliver anything can i be honest have just just while we're on the subjects of worse did you have you seen borat too yeah I, I dug it you enjoyed it I just felt like we were, the, the, some of the jokes, it's kind of past its time. And I was a bit like, I laughed. There were some points I laughed out loud, but I was nearly, it nearly made, but I was like, it's not bad enough to be worse because I actually no. watched it through then. No, you Baron Cohen for putting himself in these situations where he's legitimately in danger, you know? Yeah. Did like, you see, you know, when, you know, when he went to the gun rally? I don't know if you've seen the deleted scenes, but they actually had to get the fuck out of Dodge there. Like they got chased with guns and guys jumped in the, tra- the trailers were trying to chase them. They, he, they've got a scene of the camera guys and Sasha in the caravan, literally having to hold the door shut for people trying to break in and kill them. Like he puts himself in the line of fire. And I have to say, you say maybe the jokes have aged. Yeah. But I tell you what, seeing Rudy Giuliani trying, trying to come onto a minor, pretty relevant. Yeah. Yeah. That that is, and the fact that he then tried to defend that by saying, "Oh no 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 no, that's perfectly normal behavior." Fuck me, I would like to, ha- I would hate to see what you think is not acceptable behavior. Man literally lies down on a bed with a minor, an alleged minor, and undoes his fly. It's like, dude, just you 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 are a a, a bad a bad not human. Good. Not good. No, not good. Right, what's your number one? Okay, right, my number one was the Invisible Man. <laughs> nice shout. <laughs> Hell of a film. Invisible Man. I really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed it. I like the way they played on it. It didn't have to go down. You know, they, they put it into its current era. You know, it made it what it was. There are some parts where I thought, oh, here we go, you're being a bit stupid. But I think they really, they really played on the elements. I did toy between the banker or what have you. But when I looked at it and I thought the suspense, they actually kept me in suspense throughout the film. 
mm. and I liked the way she played at the end. I was like, do you know what? You've done really well. They they used our current times to adapt the story really well. That it's not like a freak accident. It's technology. The 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 psyche, the reason behind him doing it, why he's doing it, how he's doing it all. Very well played. Very well played. Like that 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 kind of mind play that that was that play there. I was like, yeah, I'm on board. My mother actually said to me, um, I really want to see The Invisible Man. Honey, do you think it's a movie I should watch alone? I said, absolutely not. <laughs> not not as a woman in the house alone, absolutely not. No, probably not. No, I, I, I would agree with you on that one. I would agree with you on that one. It's, it's not the best solution, but yeah, top film. It is top really film. is a top film. It was well acted, well paced. It was tight, concise. I have to give Jason Blum, who is the producer of all of these movies, endless credit. I really, really hope because the Invisible Man is part of, you know, the monster, Universal Monsters franchise. Mm-hmm. I really hope that they've scrapped all of that Tom Cruise shithousery. And this is the official start of a proper ongoing monsters universe. But get yeah. under the guidance of Jason Blum, because he is a fucking genius with some of the shit he puts out. Love yeah. his work. And yeah, the, the movie was great. It was just great, top to bottom. I love the, the kind of suit aesthetic. I loved the story of why they were separated, why he was still fucking with her. It all worked. It all just Do you know what I also liked about it, right, was the mystique behind the Invisible Man, is that we never mm. actually saw his face until near the end, like, you know, yeah. uh, at, at the point of capture. He was... So he, even though he had physically been seen, he was... You could never picture what he looked like because you'd only seen his arm. Yeah. And that also added to the mystique of who the Invisible Man is because you can't actually picture this enemy. He was just this unseen enemy throughout. And I really liked the way they played on that. Yeah, uh, and standout moment for me is when she's in the attic and then throws the paint down there, down there. Yeah, that made me even me. I was like, "Fuck!" <laughs> that made me jump out my skin. Yeah, no, uh, great film, great film, and I'd like to see more of this monsters universe. Cool. And over to you, sir. Your number one. Yeah, you've left off the best film of the year. Fact, not fiction. Parasite. Oh my days! <laughs> that was the shit. Yep. In the UK, that released this year, my friend. For some unbeknown reason, I was thinking I watched it last year. I watched it this year. How stupid. (laughs) Okay. Rewinding the clock a little bit. If you could put Parasite on, where would it fall? Yeah, I'd probably just move everything up one and put it. It would probably be number one. No, honestly, it probably would be number one. What a film. Yeah. Oh, man. (laughs) Honestly, (laughs) I have all these visions. Even when you said it, I was like, that's 2020. But no, you're right. It was this year. Oh, man. Yeah, 2020. <laughs> Sorry, 2019. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. Just in time for the Oscars, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. We caught it just in time for the Oscars. That's it. it played. Played. Yeah, complete. Ah. Oh. Foot in mouth syndrome. Yeah. Consistent throughout <laughs> the year. I know for a lot of people because you know we've had the Oscars now this film has been buzzed and talked about ad nauseum but we got it in release here in 2020 so we are talking about it now this is one of the tightest most well-made films of the of the last decade and I don't say that lightly especially considering that it is 
you know, a foreign film, especially considering that, I mean, I mean, I spent the best part of my adult life living in Southeast Asia. And even then I knew very little about South Korea. What this film encourages you is it shines a light on a lot of, you know, social inequalities that exist in South Korea, but presents them in a way that it actually encourages the audience to go and read up on shit and be like, oh shit, I didn't know that was such a problem in South Korea. But even aside from, you know, the existing social problems that exist between the wealth and the poor and, you know, the social gap in South Korea, you're talking about a really, really viscerally violent film in the sense that you've got a family who are parasitically infringing on a richer family's life and getting in on their life and effectively kind of replacing them, forming this weird symbiotic relationship, almost like a parasite would. And then you this film starts to question, well, actually inherently who is the parasite or are they all parasites? And it's so many clever things. It does like the way that the people who are, you know, the main family, the poor family, the the way it starts with a small window, but then when the grand reveals happen with them, you're surrounded in living room, all with big windows. There is so much interesting stuff going on thematically. The weather plays such an important part in this movie. It's just top to bottom this is if you know filmmaking this is a fucking tour de force of filmmaking 101 for a modern age it is wonderful filmmaking Ooh. yeah no i i yeah i can't add storyline visuals everything they've played it cinematically as well as story-wise they've done it all i i'm so upset that i got that mixed up <laughs> so upset because that's an awesome awesome film awesome mm-hmm. film well played. At least one. At least it got its mention. So that's that. Oh yeah. <laughs> I was never gonna leave it off. The moment I saw that back in late Jan, early Feb, I was like, "You're number one. Yeah. You are. Yeah. You are." To quote Seamus and Cesaro, "You are the bar. Everything <laughs> else now needs to up its game, and nothing did. Yeah, nothing did. No. Nothing. No, you're did. right. You're right. You're right. You're honestly right there. So Rushmore, indeed. Well, Parasite. Parasite. <sighs> Invisible Man. I'm happy to put Invisible Man on there. It's a great film. It's weird, but Onward made it on both our lists. Yeah, it's not going to get any love on Twitter. Um, the Gentleman, which, but I don't even know how much love that would get on Twitter, if I'm honest. I love The Gentleman. It did make both our lists also. I'm, hmm. I'm down to have it on. I mean, essentially, that could be the four. I don't know if there's anything else worth. Four? I've got two so far. Well, we just mentioned two films that could potentially be on the list that were both on uh, both lists. One was Pixar, one was... Onward, I'm not... I'm not... No. Not 100% sold on, but where would we go then? Well, I'd veto you and say Jojo Rabbit in 1917. <laughs> because I know they'd get love on Twitter. 1917, I could work with. Man's not giving Jojo Rabbit any love. Fuck me, bro. Um, no, listen. It's not that I have a problem with it, but I was overly sold on 1917 from before, and that visual concept that has been created is second to none. I'm. It's not that I have a major beef with Jojo Rabbit. I need to see it. This one, I'm. I'm down. I'm in. I'm sold already. And I'm guaranteeing more people saw 1917 than they said Jojo Rabbit. But then, in in fairness, if you believe it that, that strongly, I'm willing to veto the gentleman in, in argument for it but that's i really am i really am believing it that strongly and i really believe people on twitter are gonna give it some love I, only because i believe it's a stronger case of an argument 
that I know it had some attention. I just didn't get a chance to see it. The gentleman, I'm not too sure how strong it would be. Otherwise, I would fight for it more. But I don't know how much it done internationally. Domestically, I know it would have caught that. Even yeah. here, I don't think it done amazing. No, it didn't. It didn't because P- the King Arthur left such a bad taste in people's mouths, and Guy Ritchie didn't get a lot of kickback from it. So, is that the four? Are we happy with that? I think that's the four, mate. Yeah, I'm not really going to argue because, to be fair, uh, Onward was. It's not that I ever saw that being Rushmore worthy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so, I mean, Just Mercy was cool, but I don't think it would have got that much. Um, I, I can work yeah. with this. Yeah, I mean, th- those th- those are basically four Oscar movies we've put there. There we go. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Ladies and gentlemen, the official movie Mount Rushmore of the top movies released in the UK of 2020, in no particular order, is... Parasite. Our second entry is... The Invisible Man. You've gone completely blank, yeah? Just say that third entry again. Oh, okay. Third I, if you, I... hmm? Jojo Rabbit. <laughs> we got there in the end. Our final entry into the movie Mount Rushmore of movies of 2020, released in the UK. Is nineteen seventeen. Okay, guys. So we're gonna we're gonna hit this one here because we have now created the four multi films of this year. However, it's now down to you because we can't mention Twitter. Why are we mentioning Twitter? How can we use? Anyway, that's the one we'll work with. So that was there. It is now down to you to pick the must-see film. So what is going to happen is ourselves, the Silver Screen Dudes, at Movie MT Rushmore, will team up with at Movie Polls for you for the last time this year. And we'll put these on our Twitter feeds as a poll. It will be pinned on our page. All you have to do is put the power of the click, the power of the vote. You will pick out of those four films, Parasite, The Invisible Man, Jojo Rabbit, and 1917, the film of your choice. What was your film of the year? And when we come back in January, we would announce the winner. And because we've been ongoing with this, our topic last week was? Our topic last week was top neo-noir Can you hear me? Yes. And our contenders were? Our contenders were Seven, LA Confidential, Chinatown, and Old Boy. We had this was well received this one we had 313 votes on this one a few comments andy hart at fandango groover put four perfect films i look forward to listening to this podcast to which i replied uh what did i reply to which i replied do let us know what you thought there were some others that nearly made the final four and were damn hard to leave off to which, ha, thank you, Andy. Andy came back and said, great episode. I particularly like the argument over Reservoir Dogs. It's not a noir. You picked the wrong Tarantino movie, AJ. Pulp Fiction would fit the bill and possibly even Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. To which I've come back and said, thanks, Andy. So glad you like the episode. And thank you. Reservoir is not a noir. 
By the way, we're currently taking suggestions for Fanuary. Are there any top 10 topics you want us to cover? Andy sent us some topics. They were quite good. I'll keep those on the shelf. Cool. And more. Uh, we then had some other comments come up from Bombadil at Bombadil6. Put LA Confidential with a gif saying some men get the world, others get ex-hookers and a trip to Arizona, which is a famous line from LA Confidential. Frank Malfitano at Frank Malfitano said, Chinatown by a bit over LA Confidential can't match the stars for one thing. Your boy, Chris Trengrove, comes in and says, these are all great movies. Seven, which is perfectly <laughs> executed, is my fave of the four, followed sequentially by Chinatown, LA Confidential, and Old Boy all closely behind. And I said, hey, Chris, finally we got your seal of approval on all four. And he said, credit where credit's due. And he said, credit where credit's due, lads. Great films all. Chinatown is also probably perfectly executed, but it's been maybe upwards of 20 years since I've seen it. What other neo-noir films are in consideration? To which I said, that would be telling. You'll have to give the episode a listen. Uh, Herman Taffy at Swaggy Fan Zero. Again, I don't know why people do this. Just put Sin City, Blade Runner, Lost Highway, Chinatown, Seven, Blue Velvet, The Long Goodbye, Red Rock West, Bound, and Blood Simple. And I put, great choices. Which did you vote for in the poll, though? We get there in the end. Herman Taffy then put, seven. I do like Chinatown slightly more, but it's what drove me to go for the 10. Hard to pick, but Sin City, I was a great fan of, and Blade Runner are epic standard neo-noir films. And I said, well, they were all in consideration during the podcast, to which they answered, they're brilliant films. Bound is an unjustly forgotten gem. I was like, we're not getting anywhere here. <laughs> Chris Crane at Savage Elbow puts Sleeper, Sleeper not nominated, Brick. And I said, I'm sorry, that Brick's going to be hard to push out. Farrier at Farrier the Fist put Seven. Ida Ho 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 put Chinatown reshaped the mold and promptly broke it. Seven LA Confidential. Forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown. And I put, ah, you nearly got it. It's Jack, not Jake. Still one of the best closing lines ever in movies. Though. <laughs> you know me. I'm going to have to correct people when they're wrong. <laughs> Paulie Pockets at Paul Don 095 put LA Confidential number one, followed by Chinatown 7 and Old Boy. So, AJ, back over to you. We play our weekly game. Are you going to finish in style this week? What came forth? <laughs> old boy, it's a hard one. Old boy came forth. Correct, nine percent. Oh, wrong. Nine percent for old boy. The only thing I can put that down to is people haven't actually seen it. It's wrong. They're gone, Brolin. Um, yeah, I'm. Uh, this one is awkward. I'm gonna go. Oh, LA Confidential. No. Chinatown. Yeah, Chinatown yeah, okay. with nineteen. Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, <laughs> LA Confidential. Correct. LA Confidential, twenty-five percent, and seven coming in at number one with a massive forty-seven percent. People like seven. We'll note that for the future. Indeed, 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 indeed. Yeah, it's it's one of those films that keeps being brought up. So yeah, I yeah, I, 
Nearly my number one, despite my mistake. Thank you, Fandango. Anyway. <laughs> right. Okay, guys. Thank you very much. It's been an absolute... Silver Screen Dudes on Facebook and Instagram, Movie Empty Rushmore, where your vote will definitely, definitely be counted. Also, movie polls for you. Um, we are this. This is the last one for the year, but as as we said at the top of the show, it's been a journey. We fully appreciate it all, and yeah, we'll we'll be back in twenty twenty one, guys. There, there's no doubt in that. Uh, um, Nico's going to hit you up with a bit more, but him dudes up to please, sir. Yeah, so as well as the Movie Mount Rushmore podcast, which, as AJ has said, is the final episode of the year. We are back in 2021 as soon as my ass is back from filming Sharks in Mexico. If you want to follow me doing that, by the way, you can head over to the Global Underwater Explorers YouTube page where I'll be posting videos while I'm in Mexico. Uh, Wish me luck. I should come back all in one piece. Um, but that is the reason why the movie Mount Rushmore podcast you is will, taking a small. <laughs> why the movie Mount Rushmore podcast is taking a small two-week hiatus. We are back in 2021, but as well as the movie Mount Rushmore podcast, the Silver Screen Dudes also run our other podcast, the Ministry of Wrestling. This is available every single Saturday. It's about an hour long, much more tight than this show. It's about all the latest news, gossip, pay-per-view predictions, pay-per-view roundups and general wrestling goodness. If you like wrestling, trust me, that one's for you. You can find the Ministry of Wrestling podcast everywhere where you can find the Movie Mount Rushmore podcast, so all the same podcast platforms, as well as MRW News on Twitter, um, Ministry of Wrestling on Facebook and Instagram, and of course, you can find everything that the Silver Screen Dudes do on www.silverscreendudes.com. That is the one indeed. So guys... It's been amazing. We'll catch you. Trust me, you might even get that episode where we give you a small touch of what's to come because it's going to be big. We thought we thought season three was going to be big. Season four, bigger and better. We're coming back strong. So guys, have a Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa, all the rest. We'll catch you in 2021. Until the next time, I am the one AJ Anthony Jordan. I'm Nico Luro. See ya. See ya. <laughs>